Hi, I'm Jen. I'm Sophia. And I'm Zoe. And welcome to Every Rom-Com, the podcast where we have fun taking romantic comedies seriously. This week on Every Rom-Com, we're finishing our travel series with a trip to the southern Peloponnese of Greece. We'll cover a movie that is neither a genre rom-com nor really a comedy, and we'll discuss whether we think it's a romance. And we'll muse on a variety of topics, including how technology has affected sex and relationships, the anxieties of parenting, the inevitability of compromise in relationships, and much, much more as we discuss the last film in the Before series, Before Midnight. Hello, everybody. Hi. Hi. Oh, welcome back. We've got our third before series uh, movie and our last in the travel series, um, which has been very long. We've been traveling for a long time, haven't we, Sophia? We have. And and I'm ready <laughs> to like really travel, like get in the car and go somewhere at the very least, if not like a flight somewhere. Yeah, so I was wondering, um, are there any places now that the pandemic has at least temporarily been easing, if there are any places on your travel to-do list or things you want to do later in this year or next year for travel? Well, J- Japan is still not open, and that's the only place my family wants to go. They they just, every now and then, they'll just sigh and say, we oh. just want to go back to Japan. Really? Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. we loved it there. It was a big deal. So would you go back to the same places you'd already been or do you think you'd try a new place in Japan? I think when we go back, uh, we, we kind of did a, a tour, uh, like a grand tour around the country, including a, an in-country flight. But I think we would go back to Goshogawara, which is in northern Japan. Um, there's a pottery studio that Kurt knows there. And we've been invited to stay in the guest house there for, for weeks, for several weeks. So that's probably what we would do. Really yes. cool. Yes, you would. Oh, my goodness. Someone invites you to their guest house for an indefinite period of time. Why wouldn't we do <laughs> Me, I probably wouldn't. We'd find some lame excuse. we like, well, and then we would miss a great opportunity. Well, there, there's then don't do it next time. <laughs> Thank you. You're right. <laughs> You're right. You're right. As for me, I, I I definitely want to see my brother in Portugal. So he and his wife live there. That's where his wife is from, Luna, who's been on the show, actually. What am I talking about? If you're a regular listener, you've heard Luna before. Anyway, I'd like to go to Portugal and visit them. And then I'd also like to go to Shakespeare and Company bookstore in France, like which was in Before mm-hmm. Sunset. Yeah. And and do the whole um writer worker in residence deal that they've got. Um, because I've written and I would like to write some more. And it would be great to do it in Paris. Yeah. Oh wow. Uh we I wanna just go to Lake Geneva and see my family. Ha. Um <laughs> and then um so we have, uh, have you not seen yeah. your family for some time then? Uh, I haven't seen my sister. My parents came up here in November. Um, so that's it's been, been a while. Huh? It's been yeah. a while. Um, well, I want to go to Lake Geneva too. So maybe we'll intersect sometime and we'll ooh, go swimming. Okay. 
So, oh, if you yeah. like, if you want to go swimming, I that's of what course. I do when I go to Lake Geneva. <laughs> totally, totally. I'm like, we must get to the beach. Why wouldn't we? Um, but for grand, we'll probably, you know, as soon as we can go to Brooklyn, we'll go to Brooklyn. And um, but for grand traveling, um, I after this, I said uh, to Greg, I'm like, can we start a travel fund? for Greece. So like in 10 years, like it doesn't have to be anytime soon. Mm -hmm. Let's just sock money away for that trip that we've said we would always take. And, uh, so he said yes to that. So who knows, but awesome. That's on my right. That's on my radar. You can Southern Peloponnese. Um, not specific. Well, you know, I have like family roots there, so I would have to go to like the family villages and, uh, they actually are in the Peloponnese, but like Corinth and Sparta and they're kind of far apart. Actually, Sparta is closer to where the filming was made. I kind of looked. I'm like, how far away? Because <laughs> I spent a time looking a lot of time looking at the maps and, and figuring out where towns were and stuff like that. So I'm like, oh, I could hit it all. And I would want to go find like a statue of, you know, Marathon, you know, the messenger who did the marathon and then dropped dead do you know that story and just be like yeah runner i don't whatever (laughs) (laughs) that's cool all kinds of yeah i've got all kinds of dreams and plans cool very cool well before we get started with today's episode uh, just a few notes so unlike most episodes i've made the executive decision that there will not be a spoiler free section for before midnight because when we tell our opinion of the film i think we need to be able to encompass the entire film in our opinion mm-hmm. and i i really honestly i would be very surprised if anybody's listening to this episode who hasn't seen the movie because it's like the third in a trilogy so mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. go back watch the movie Come back, listen to the podcast if you don't want to be spoiled. That's that's my message to the audience. Sorry, but most episodes will have a spoiler-free section. We also want to remind you that you can follow the podcast on social media. Our Facebook page is Every Romcom Podcast and Blog. Our Instagram is at Every Romcom, and our Twitter handle is at Every Romcom Pod. And as always, you can find us at everyromcom.com. Send us feedback at feedback at everyromcom.com. And if you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. And now, let's listen to a little bit of the trailer for Before Midnight. Oh, we said we were going to stop. They wanted to see the ruins. Yeah, but should we wake them up? You know what let's do? On our way back to the airport, we can catch them. Hmm? You know we won't. Yeah, probably not. Okay. And how did you two meet... We met about 18 years ago. We kind of sort of fell in love. And a decade later, we ran into each other. No, no, no. You wrote a book, and I read about it and went to look for it. Oh, it's pretty romantic. If we're meeting for the first time today on a train, would you start talking to me? Would you ask me to get off the train with you? Of course. Well, this place is so full of thousands of years of myth and tragedy, and I thought something tragic was going to happen. It's still there. It's still there. You never stop ogling girls. Like. I don't ogle girls. I make love to them with my eyes. Oh, wow. I'm stuck with an American teenager. I feel close to you. Yeah. But sometimes I don't know. I feel like you're breathing helium and I'm breathing oxygen. What makes you say that? I wanted you to say something romantic and you okay? okay. You are the mayor of Crazy Town. Do you know that? You are. 
This is how people start breaking out. Oh, my God. I assure you, that guy you vaguely remember, the sweet romantic one that you met on a train, that is me. Why am I finding myself yes. so attracted to this woman? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this was a hard movie to make a trailer for, like harder than the other two. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, kind of for the same reason that there's no spoiler section, right? It's like there's there's really these two really different parts of the movie, I guess. And if you just if you just have all the like nice stuff from the beginning, you're missing mm. out on what the movie's really about. <laughs> I mean, I think it's about all of it, but yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, it's 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 more it's it kind of like I think there is a movie called Scenes from a Marriage, but like you could an alternate title could be Scenes from a Marriage or mm. Scenes from mm-hmm. a Marital Vacation or something. Like mm-hmm. it's just like these little glimpses of the life that they're having and like how do you put that all together? There's no like artificially imposed deadline with before sunset or before or before sunrise like mm-hmm. it's just them in the middle of their life essentially mm-hmm. yeah like before we talk about our opinion um we'll we'll do like the basic facts about the movie though and um it was before midnights and from 2013 once again directed by richard linklater once again written by richard linklater julie delpy and ethan hawk and the story and characters remain richard linklater and kim krasan and once again, starring Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy. But there are a number of other actors that we'll talk about who will also appear in the film this time. And some interesting facts. According to Wikipedia, it cost $3 million to make. And it had a worldwide gross of $23.3 million. Also, I was uh, watching some making of and Q&A on the DVD. And this was um, truly, completely, independently financed. I don't think it was attached to a studio until later on. So they like raised that money. They independently put that money together for the film. So yeah. Um, And according to the guardian, uh, Julie Delby refused to do before midnight unless she received equal pay with Ethan Hawke. She had been paid about one tenth of Hawke's fee for sunrise and about half a sunset. What? Mm. Yep. Grief. And they wrote the screenplay together. Uh, for about two and a half months. Uh, early in the concept for the film was to have it be about Jesse, Celine, and their kids having a very ordinary day and just going through their normal routines like shopping. Um, sounds very much like, uh, you know, his in the first one when he's like, let's just set up a camera and watch people t- for 24 hours. <laughs> just doing right? There is a film, it's French, and it's like four and a half hours long of a woman going through her day um hmm. it's on criterion i keep forgetting to write the name down um but it's kind of an art house uh staple and it and, did you actually and watch this film i've seen well not all four and a half hours but parts okay. of it yeah and she's just like taking a bath and she's making her dinner and and you're just watching this and it's it's wild um and then let's see it was nominated for best adapted screenplay uh, and adapted because it's a sequel. And Delpy uh, was nominated for a Golden Globe for her performance. So, general opinions. When did you see it? How has your opinion changed over time, ladies? 
So crazily enough, recently I saw in my Facebook memories, there was a post about how much I loved Before Sunset and how I was looking forward to seeing Before Midnight. And I Ah. must have seen it actually in the theater in Korea. Like surprisingly, sometimes independent films will get make it to Korea. Um, It's it's often odd which ones do and which ones don't. But yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw it in the theater. Um, I remember the time being like, kind of sad when I saw Mm -hmm. it. Like, so here's where the spoilers begins. Like you see Jesse and Celine go from like this really romantic, almost idealized couple in the first one to this like, you know, kind of sexy, like really passionate couple in the second one. And then in this one, they're just like having their life and like they have problems and they have fights and they have these like petty, like, you know, comments they make towards each other. And I was like, oh, oh, like, I think sometimes we go to the movies to like see the ideal in mm. love, in mm. love in particular, and then to to be be thrust back into the real, it's like, oh, wait a second. Like we we see like romantic couples and real couples as two different things, but really like mm. this movie shows the con this series shows the continuity of romantic couple morphs into real couple. And like, can you still find the romanticism in that? And I think in 2013, I wasn't quite ready to do that. And now, like, I look back at it and I'm like, I feel like more positively about this film. And mm. I feel more more of the hope in it or more of the romance in amidst the trouble. So I guess mm. that's my that's my general thesis right there. <laughs> no. mm-hmm. Nice, nice, nice. So we- I, I saw it a week ago. and um i already you know i i don't really believe in spoilers so i already kind of knew what was gonna happen um but watching it like so i was prepared for the the realness of it watching it though it's like it's a great movie like it captures something that you don't usually see in a movie maybe because people are usually wanting that ideal you know but i think it captures something really real in a really valuable and interesting way. I didn't necessarily find it like fun to watch them fight. You mm-hmm. know, I don't feel like this is a movie that I'm going to be like, Hey, let's hang out, watch before midnight <laughs> just for fun, you know? Um, but I thought that, I thought that it was great, you know, for showing what it shows. Yeah. I, when it came out, knew that it was out and I was, waiting to like purchase it and so it was my gift to self when I um, resigned from my job and I stayed home with our baby so I had had it I'm like this is my gift but I waited another couple years to watch it because I wanted to see it with my friend Kate who I saw before sunrise no before sunset with in the theaters like it was kind of like our thing so it wasn't until about two years two or three years later we watched it at her house and um i i i of course it's not my favorite of the three um because i'm like gee they are just at each other this is awful i was so sad for them and i was i was not in that place yet um (laughs) like i was all like yay we just we just moved together in our new chapter of our life and um and then i don't know maybe i was just 39 and then when i turned 40 yeah everything (laughs) kind of went uh i like i don't know it's now i now we're in the thick of it now we're in the thick of a grade schooler and um you know, my gosh, this pandemic did not help any kind of mm. like 
life balance in any way of like job and dreams and yeah, family and a little romance or anything, any of that. So even I was so reluctant to watch it again, but obviously did it for this thing, but I ignored a lot of it. Like I really was kind of very emotionally distanced because I'm like, I just, did this this morning we just had five petty arguments about like the garbage and the blah 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 and like i don't want to watch other people do (laughs) i really was all i concentrated on was like the waves in the background like look at that beautiful scenery (laughs) that's like the ruins (laughs) i can't remember which interview i was watching but i was watching one of the interviews and richard linklater was saying that he's had people say they watched the movie and then they got in a big fight with their spouse (laughs) (laughs) like maybe they picked on something that was in the movie and said yeah you do that too or something i don't know but like you know what i mean like it it just like it it does like trigger people in some ways i think like some of the issues according to them yeah i don't know i don't remember it triggering lee and i at the time but like you know we're not immune to conflict either but i don't think we have the same conflicts really you know so maybe that didn't trigger us for that reason I mean, I don't know about the like specific same things that they argue about, but as far as like the, you know, who's sacrificing what to take care of the mm-hmm. children and, you know, do we yeah. have dreams anymore? And, um, you know, I, I don't, that kind of thing. So sure. that's, that's real right now. Yeah, I'm glad we have two people on the podcast this episode who have children. I do not. So like that because like I think that the having of the children is a one of the big key elements in some of their conflicts and like and also just some of their things about life that they're thinking about. So anyone anyone any more about the general opinion or should we save it for as we go on? Save it for as we go along. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So in terms of the cast and crew, uh, if you want to hear information about Richard Linklater, we talk about him in the Before Sunrise episode. If you want to hear information about Julie Delpy and Ethan Hawke, uh, please listen to our Before Sunset episode. And in this episode, we're going to talk about um, some of the other creators and some of the actors involved because there are more prominent actors involved in this film. So first of all, I found uh, Sandra Adair, who is an editor of the film. And it seems like she's been Richard Linklater's main editor. So she worked on Dazed and Confused, Before Sunrise, The Newton Boys, Waking Life, Tape, School of Rock, Before Sunset, Bad wow. News Bears, Fast Food Nation, A Scanner Darkly, Me and Orson Welles, Bernie, and Before Midnight, Boyhood, and Everybody Wants Some, Where'd You Go, Bernadette? Actually, I'm not sure. It might be all of them. And that might like, be all I, of them. I, right? I, 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 I might be all of them. But yeah, she's been with Richard Linklater, you know, the whole career. And she's currently working on Apollo 10 and a half with Richard Linklater. And she's also worked on some non-Linklater projects. One of them was Suburbia. And she's herself directed a documentary on a collage artist. It's called The Secret Life of Lance Letcher. It was released in 2017. And she was nominated for an Oscar for her work, editing work on Boyhood. So I thought it was really worth shouting out like this creator that people might not have heard of yet. So... We get to see uh, Jesse's son, Hank, in this film, played by uh, Seamus Davy Patrick, a young actor. Um, he played uh, Damien in a <laughs> 2006 remake of The Omen. He appeared in Moonrise Kingdom as Roosevelt and still acting, but not in big productions. 
And then the twins, Jennifer Pryor and Charlotte Pryor, they play Ella and Nina. Um, they have no other acting credits for uh, for them either. But um, yeah, sure like they, in the film. Yeah, and Richard Linklater was saying like um, it was so lucky that they found these two actresses that look so much like Julie Delpy. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. It, it really is kind of uncanny. And then I want like your help, Sophia, with pronouncing the next actor. Sure. So I believe uh, um, this actress is named Zania. Hang on now. Kalo Garapolo. Wow. Or yeah, you could she... say Kalo Garapolo without any kind of accenty, but that's her. Who does she you. play, Jen? She plays Natalia, who is um, so in this movie, there are a series of other couples that are Jesse and uh, Celine interact with at this house. And she plays Natalia. Actually, she's not in a couple in the movie. Her husband has passed away, but she's friends with the man who owns the house. And so mm-hmm. this apparently this actress is a very respected Greek theater and film actress. So she had like a big career, but she had retired from acting in the 1980s. And at that time she was doing theater with children and um, yeah, ran her own children's theater. It sounds like, but she's like very well known in Greece. She came out of retirement specifically to do before midnight. And since then she's had a few more small acting credits and I thought she was fabulous. I, she has, she gives my favorite speech in the film, which we'll talk about later. Mm-hmm. So Walter Lasalle, if we've said his last name correctly, he plays Patrick and this guy's very interesting. Um, he has 111 credits as a cinematographer from 1946 to th- 2001 for directing credits only one other credit as an actor in a short film in 1972. He was a cinematographer on Zorba the Greek, Heat and Dust, The Bostonians, and he died in 2017. They talk about him in some of the commentary on the DVD and that, uh, yeah, he really hadn't ever acted before. And um, there's a comment he makes um, as Patrick when they're at dinner about um, when he picks up Jesse at the airport, he's like, this this guy couldn't be a man of letters dressed like that. Apparently, Walter, as himself, said that to Ethan Hawke as himself. <laughs> They're like, nothing could be a man of letters dressed like that. And then, like, we've got to put that in the film. So I thought that was hilarious that he <laughs> busted his that chops is, like that. That is pretty funny. Yeah. Yep. And then we've got... I'm going to guess on the pronunciation for this. Ariane Labed uh, plays Anna, who is a young woman in a relationship in, with someone in the movie. And she is a uh, Greek born French actress. So she's born in Greece, but also French. Um, she has directed a short film as well, but she's also an actress. She won the Volpe cup best actress at Venice film festival for the 2010 film, Addenburg. And Adenberg was also directed by one of the other actors in Before Midnight. So um, Athena Rachel Sangari, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Sounds good and to me. Attenberg was actually her first film that she acted in, and she got this prestigious award for it. She's also appeared in Alps and Assassin's Creed, and she's still acting. And then uh, there's a young gentleman, Yanis Papadopoulos. He plays Achilles. Um, he doesn't have many other acting credits other than films listed as boy eating the bird's food and nine to five. 
And then um, we come to who I mentioned before, Athena Rachel Sangari. She plays Ariadne. And she's one of the members of this middle-aged couple that's kind of counterpointed with Jesse and Celine in the movie. She has only one other acting role. Funny enough, she played the cousin from Greece in Slacker in 1999, or sorry, in 1990, Richard Linklater's, you know, first big indie film. And I I would have to watch it again to find her. But um, she was also a co-producer on the film Before Midnight. Uh, she's produced a lot of other films, including Dogtooth. And she has 12 directing credits. She's mainly done documentaries and shorts. Uh, she also did the short behind the scenes documentary about Before Midnight called After Before. And that's included on the Criterion Collection uh, edition. And her feature films, though, like previously mentioned Attenberg with the other actress, Labed. And she also did a film called Chevalier. And that film features the next person we're going to talk about, her Before Midnight co-star and movie husband, Panos Coronis. And Sangari has also worked as a writer, cinematographer, sound department editor. So she's just like a pretty multi-talented individual. Love it. And then we, uh, as Jen was saying, um, Panos Coronis, he plays Stephanos. Um, he only has a few film out credits, um, but is also a theater actor and director and director of commercials. And he did Chevalier with Athena Rachel Sangari. Okay. And yeah, and so that's who we have in the cast. I think it's really cool. I think one of my favorite things about this movie, as opposed to the other two, is I like having them interact with the other actors. Mm-hmm. Like one of my favorite parts, like we talked about in Before Sunrise, was when they hang out with those German uh, theater people for a few minutes. I thought that was great. And so I like watching Howard, Jesse, and Celine when they're with other people. What do you guys think? It's kind of refreshing, you know, yeah, to see them hang out with other folks. It- I don't know what it does. It change things. I don't I know. D- I think so. But tell me how. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I've got a place where we can talk about that later. Actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think I'll, I'll wait for that scene. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So this film opens on an airport, and I think it's great because the other movies in Before Sunrise you had getting off the train and then having to get back on the train, and in Before Sunset you had baby, you're gonna miss that plane. Mm-hmm. It's like there's there's always some form of transportation kind of looming over them, but this time right at the beginning, um, Jesse's at the airport delivering his son Henry slash Hank, which he calls him a lot, to the airplane to go back home to his mother, and. So Jesse isn't missing a plane this time, but to me, it occurred to me in in this, in a different sense, he's still missing the same plane. He missed nine years ago, like, Mm. like nine years ago, he didn't get on a plane to be with his son and, and his then wife. And the consequence of that has been that now he has limited time with his son. He has to send his son back. And so he's, yeah, this is a plane he would probably like to get on, but yeah. But he's kind of torn hard. Too. This one was hard when I first saw it, and it was extra hard this time. I don't know. Yeah, yeah tell me more about that. Oh, just because even in Before Sun Set, he talks about like how he doesn't want to miss a single moment with mm. his son. And now, you know, he wants to get home for this recital or whatever. And Hank is like, don't come. It's just so hard. Mom hates you so much. <laughs> it's like, oh, gosh, killer. Um, uh, and then when, just when, when Hank, you know, goes through security and that look on Jesse's face, yeah, he's just, you know, and that, that plays out through the rest of the film and just that, 
you know, that goodbye, that parting after spending time together, um, kind of, it seems like it wrecks him every single time and, um, not kind of, but absolutely wrecks him. And just, I mean, I, I can't imagine, you know, you're having pretty much like two lives like that, you know, your heart going one place, but then he goes back to the car with his, the other part of his heart who need him and, and, uh, you know, love him and need his presence. And yet his heart is in another place sometimes. And it just, it was so sad. It was so sad. It was really hard not to think of that line from sunset when he was talking about not wanting to miss a moment of his son's life. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the commentary, they, they said that this scene represents the fallout from the last movie. Like, mm-hmm. somebody's always going to pay, like, mm-hmm. when, when you make those romantic decisions. Like, mm-hmm. so some definite, some big fallout. And they said another inspiration for the film was the idea of it being the end of summer and the holidays over. Mm-hmm. So, like, they were just on this holiday when everyone was together, and now mm-hmm. that part's over. And they also like they, in this movie they kind of put you in the middle of the, Jesse and Celine's life, and you kind of just learn little bits and pieces as you go. Like you were saying, Sophia, with the mm-hmm. recital, like you kind of find out through that conversation how badly things went with Jesse and his ex-wife. Unsurprisingly, yeah. I mean, yeah. I can't imagine. I can't really imagine a worse like divorce than like, yes, I've just left you for this like French goddess that I wrote about in my book, and, like, right? <laughs> And by the way, I'm going to be living in another country. And oh, by the way, now we're pregnant with twins. <laughs> right. So just a small notes about the scene. So Hawk is wearing a Neptune Records shirt in that scene. And apparently it was chosen for an allusion to Greek mythology. There's a, like little allusions here and there since the movie's set in Greece. Anything I really else like that you? t-shirt too. I, oh, I yeah? noticed them like, hey, I, great shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anything else anybody wants to say about this scene? No. Oh, wait, I did want to add one more thing. Like the thing that was truly crushing, I thought was like, and they mentioned this in the commentary too, is when he leaves him, his son and his son goes through security, his son does not look back at him. Mm. And, you know, it kind of gives you that impression of a kid who's already moving on into independence and into an, Mm. into adulthood a little more (sighs) instead of like a little kid who would look back at you and be like for reassurance or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So then Jesse leaves the airport and we see Celine waiting with a car. Um, she's on the phone and then you see their sleeping twins in the back store in the back seat. And that tells you the story of the last nine years pretty quickly catch up what's going on with them. Yeah. I thought it was cool. This is apparently this whole car scene was also like supposed to be one of the central images that led to the concept of the film. Like Richard Linklater was thinking about how, like one of the only times he and his wife, or I think maybe just partner at the time, had any time to talk was when their kids were sleeping in the back of the top car. <laughs> Otherwise, they, it was always, you know, tending to the kids, talking business. But yeah, what do you, you're laughing, Sophia? Is this ringing true for you? Uh, yeah. Like if if you know she's in the bathroom, or uh, if she's plugged in somewhere, that's you know completely, you know. F- Having a moment of independence. I mean, our, oh, so these twins are about nine, we say, eight or nine yeah. years old. That's my daughter's age. And um, so there is more like she just wants to hang out in her room. And we're like, whoa, hey, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, but then she'll like do something 
totally kid wise and be like, can you bring me a juice box? And I'm like, oh, okay, sure. I'm shaking out of a moment to chat, to chat or something like that. Yes, I feel that. How yeah. old are your kids again, Zoe? Six and a half and almost eight. Okay. So I, mm-hmm. I definitely feel this. Uh, yeah. There, and, and Clover <laughs> will like, if she senses an important adult conversation happening, she uh, will, she is drawn to that. Like there is something she needs to know and she does not want to be left out. So <laughs> She, she doesn't and they have not they were never really good nappers so the back of the car even is like oh my gosh what a I was I was thinking about that when I was looking at those nine-year-olds sleeping I was like wow these kids will <laughs> sleep what's that like <laughs> uh before before pandemic or maybe it was over the summer who knows whatever my, my sister-in-law and her daughters were over and the youngest we were sitting at the table grown-ups at the table girls in the other room and just as my sister-in-law went to speak the little one came bounding in mama i was wondering blah 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 she's like how do you know i was about to open my mouth and speak <laughs> and like i haven't talked for 15 minutes you were nowhere to be found and the moment i want to say something you jump in and it was really funny because <laughs> it was so terribly true and the little one is really cute so it's hard to be like <laughs> we're kind of enamored with the little one all, I think oh. all the creators in this movie had children too. So this was all relevant yeah. to them as well. And they were like, like, I think it was one of the impetuses for making the film was just like, let's talk about what this does. Let's talk about children. Let's talk about family mm-hmm. and how that, and how that alters a relationship in some ways. So they just in terms of filmmaking, they were talking in the commentary a lot about how challenging it was to film this scene because it was a long take. I guess like mm. there's sort of a cutaway to the ruins, but like, Mm. I, I think, but it's, they're still filming that same scene. Like the scene didn't get interrupted to film that, you know, they ca- they had to memorize mm. all that dialogue, keep it going. And then they were saying that the, the, there was the extra challenge, which I didn't even think about is the kids in the back seat were acting like they were asleep. And they were kind of afraid like that the kids would then really fall asleep and miss, miss their cue, you know, to jump back into the <laughs> But they did not. They did not. They got it. I don't think it took that long to get the scene, but it was like while they were doing it, they were like, don't fuck up. Don't fuck up in their minds. Like That's I can imagine funny. that. And then let's see, what's the actual, so the, in terms of the actual content of the scene, um, Celine's trying to decide whether to take this new job, like her mm-hmm. job with like a environmental foundation is frustrating. Like they didn't get some wind turbines approved and now she's being offered a government job, which before she didn't want to work for the government, but now she's like, yeah, maybe. And, mm-hmm. but it's like both of them have downsides. There's a quote, if I leave, I get fucked. If I stay, I get fucked. And Jesse says, there's always a catch. To me, it seems like it's a metaphor for every choice, including the choice to be in their relationship. <laughs> I, yeah. I feel like yeah. that line is there for a reason. You know well, what I mean? Well, that's one of the big themes of the movie. It's it's not just the fallout with Hank. It's not just the divorce fallout. It's like at that stage of life, right? Like all the choices you've made to that point are starting to have payoffs and consequences. And it's like, this is the this is the path you've gone down. And this is the life you've built. And I feel like when you're, I don't know, 40 or approaching 40, you can still change direction in some ways, but like there's a lot of ways that you're like locked into certain choices sure, for better or for worse, mm-hmm. that like the path of your life is set in certain ways. Hmm. Yeah. Or at least it's a lot harder to alter it. And especially when you've had sure. children and yeah. You, you, yeah. Yeah. 
you know, we talk about this in terms of like going to school for a daughter. She's like, I like everything except this one part. And it's like, yeah, hun, you know, Dada likes his job except for that one part. And I like my job except for that one part. Like there's, I don't know that we're anything has 100% perfect. There's kind of this always part that sucks or something or just is you kind of got to get through that part to enjoy the rest of it. But in that vein of what Zoe's saying about like, you know, you've built something and oh my gosh, and the choices that you've made to this path. Yeah. I feel badly for Celine, like trying to decide where to go for work and which one is the better place about getting things done that she cares about. And I really don't have a career. Maybe there's, (laughs) maybe there's freedom in that. Like I've not built much, so I have nothing to be (laughs) Well, I mean, it doesn't no have to be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I haven't really either. I wasn't even thinking in terms of a career. It's just like all of your life choices, like yeah, the, you know, the people that you're friends with and where you live. It's like, yeah, you could, you could, I guess, theoretically, at any moment, like blow it all up and go do something new. But it just feels a lot harder, and <laughs> like maybe oh, it's yeah. worth getting yeah, through, yeah, 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 getting yeah. through the bad things to like stick with what you've got. <laughs> Well, even our move, like our move from Brooklyn to St. Paul, and I didn't really, I mean, we knew, we had friends, you know, that we had kept in touch with over the years, but not like deep friendships that I was coming to. And we had my husband's new job. That was it, you know, and building a life all over again. Like I never want to move ever again, (laughs) (laughs) ever. So I feel that I don't. Yeah. I feel I could still do another one or two radical changes, but yeah, like at the same time, it does get harder, especially like you just like you get a little more tired, honestly, like just yeah. getting a little yeah. bit older. Like I, I'm, you know, even if you're trying to keep healthy, it's a little bit inevitable. So, yeah. yeah. Like, so I, another- don't wanna, I don't want to, I don't want to look too far into the future and decide like I'm just you know, stuck on the same trajectory. I don't feel like mm, it that mm. way. Like my kids are going to grow and change. And like when they become adults, I'm not going to be, you know, that old. And my husband is a lot older than me. And like, so who knows what will happen? You know, if we were the same age, it would be one thing, but it's like even best case scenario, um, I'm going to have another phase to my life. And I don't, I don't want to decide mm-hmm. what it is, but it's like, it's out mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think about it that often. I'm very happy with how things yeah. are now. So that's, that's, mm. but it's still kind of like it's looming, you know? Yeah. Uh-huh. In a way. And the other thing is though, like anybody can, you know, have a major change at any time too. So like, don't forget that. Like, right. I, we can't take anyone's life for granted or, you know, I, the pandemic showed us we can't even take our settled situations for granted. Mm, like totally. even if, even if we stay put, the world can happen to us. So totally true. Okay, so another thing we learned from this scene is, like, I just wanted to mention, it seems like Celine is close to Henry slash Hank, like, because mm-hmm. he has told Celine about this girl, Melina, who he kissed, and he didn't tell Jesse some of this stuff. So it's kind of cool to know that Celine has ended up being, like, a really effective step parent for Hen- Henry as well, mm-hmm. I thought. Yeah, I liked that. I liked that a lot. And um, they also she also mentions or they talk about how Hank and Melina can be friends on Facebook, and it just made yeah. me think about how much like these two yeah. little kids can stay in touch. But Jesse and Celine, I mean, they could have stayed in touch; they could have exchanged right. their addresses. But it would have been comically easy for them to have found each other in the past, you know, or, or in the right. in the present. Whereas, like in the past, they had no way to find each other because they didn't give themselves away. 
Yes, and then, I was very conscious of like they talk about Skype and they all have yeah, cell phones on. now and they're texting and Facebook and I'm like, oh, it's 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 vastly different. It's like completely different worlds and yeah, interesting for all the things you said. And then they like there's this like funny thing where like they they do a couple of small things that to me seem like no big deal. So they drive past these ruins that the girls <laughs> wanted to see and like, oh, should we wake them up? And it's like, no, let them sleep. And then Celine's like, oh, but but we're gonna hurt them in some way if we don't let them see these ruins. Like, and then like one of them's holding an apple that's like, you know, going bad, and Jesse decides he's gonna eat the apple. And then Celine's like, You're gonna turn him into an anorexic because like you ate their apple while they were sleeping. <laughs> and to me, that seemed like like a little bit much, but like it sort of brings up like the anxiety about parenthood, like we're shitty parents. Like, do you have any things in your life where you've just like thought you were shitty parents for like small decisions like that? Or like, do you think about the impacts of these small decisions? All the time, 24-7, every minute of the day. Yep. I don't know. What about you, Zoe? You seem like, like, to me, you homeschool. So I'm like, oh, you're cool. Like, uh, you just must have a, a level of patience and, like, communalness with your children and your family that, to me, that that I'm in awe of. And I'm like, how do you do that? I, that's just I my total fabrication. True. No, I think you're kind of right. I mean, I don't mean that in, like, a bragging no. way. But no, like I, I do think that's true. Like we're we're close in a different way. Um, mm-hmm. I one hundred percent have like stolen their food, and I don't feel bad about <laughs> it at all because they because there's more. Like you know, there's more food. Right. I'll buy you another apple. It's you know what I mean. Like I want right. them to not have that kind of thing be a big deal. I would just tell them, hey, your apple was going bad, or like I was hungry. I'll get you another one. No big deal. Yeah, I feel like that would be like me. I'd be like, come on, what are you upset about this apple for? <laughs> <laughs> well, I might not do that. That might not work. No, no, no. I do too. It's like you weren't eating it. It was over. But it for a kid, sometimes it's like, that was mine. And it might it might not have night it might not have anything to do with the apple, but it was like theirs and yeah. this identity and, and it becomes a greater thing. And I'm like, do I wanna cause up a ruckus? Uh you know, it's <laughs> Like maybe I'll just yeah. leave the riding apple. Um, I mean, you got to so, know your kids too. I mean, right, 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 right. right. One of that my was... kids might have more of a problem with it than the other, and I. It depends on whose apple it was and how the day was going. So that makes sense. Right, right. <laughs> There's like a hundred things, and it's just a damn apple. And yeah, we can always get another one. <laughs> so. Well, but I feel from- like, I don't know, I might have woken them up to see the temple that they wanted yeah. to see, because that's like, you might not ever give, get another chance for that. Right. It's like, apple, right. there's thousands of apples, there's one temple. I don't know. <laughs> right, 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 right. That's how yeah. I weigh my decisions. Is this, you know, Yeah. is this easy to like, to fix if it turns out to be a big deal? Apple, easy. Temple, maybe not. <laughs> Ruins, yeah. it's like maybe they're tired and they just wanted a moment to themselves and so maybe they were being a little Absolutely. bit selfish not showing them the ruins but like i feel like yes. it's so important like from as an outsider like seeing some people parent their children I, I think there's sometimes a tendency to sacrifice too much of themselves by parents these days you, you know like not give themselves their own time their own adult time or or make uh-huh. or make the kids go to the site that they want to visit like instead of like always going to the site the kids want to visit like I'll see mm-hmm. people do that and I'm like I don't know like my mm-hmm. parents were selfish sometimes and it was okay <laughs> like it worked out okay <laughs> yeah yeah 
Yes. Yeah, when we travel, when I've traveled with the kids, I've taken them internationally three times, and it's 100% my agenda. And, like, <laughs> I think about them, and I think about parks, and, you know, I give yeah. them lots of treats and stuff, but I see what I want to see, and they come yeah. along. Yeah, I think that's healthy. Yeah. And and it probably exposes the kids to things like that they're, would, are good for them, too. Like, really? I think so. We call that yeah. school. <laughs> <laughs> Hell, yeah. Heck, yeah. So this scene um, basically introduces the central conflict in the movie. Um, Jesse has realized that he wants to be with Henry Moore in Chicago. And Celine is just trying to accept this new job. And she's trying to protect her career and independence and basically her selfhood, which would mean for her staying in France. And so this is kind of like a situation where they're not both going to be able to get what they want, essentially. Mm And it one of the it brings up one of the big themes in the really in the movie, which is compromise and relationships. So just like we said, your paths get kind of set. Both of their paths have been kind of set, and but but to stay together, they're going to have to like maybe not do the exact thing they want to do. Um, like did, I identified with this theme of compromise and relationships, even though we don't have children to complicate things further, but or a second marriage like that. Ha- has a custody thing going on. Um, mm-hmm. But I identified it with, because like when Lee and I first um, got married, uh, he wanted to go to Korea and I was wanting to stay at Portland state and maybe get a master's degree, but I agreed to go to Korea with him. And then the plan was originally we we're going to come back and I was going to get a master's degree. Um, I did get a master's degree in something totally different later, but we never went back to Portland. And I think there was a while where I felt kind of resentful towards Lee because like anything that went bad in Korea, I was like, oh, I'm just here because of you. But -hmm. eventually I realized that I had to like accept, you know, that I had made that decision, you know, that I Mm -hmm. had chosen to choose him and Korea over just being alone and being doing a master's degree. Um, And I, 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 I feel like I came to peace with that. And then later Lee had to compromise because he was happy to stay in Korea after the earthquake and I could not handle it. And so we had to move back to the States and I finally got him a little while ago to admit that he had been angry at the time that he had to come back. And, mm. um, but cause he had hidden it from me and I, like, I knew that he probably felt that way, which made it even more stressful. I finally got him to admit it, but like, we've both had to make these decisions that maybe weren't the exact one we wanted to make to stay together. So I totally identify with it. I think they're in this movie, they're right at the point of like coming across maybe, Maybe not mm-hmm. the first time they've come across this, but the one that hurts. Mm-hmm. And that that's a tough situation to be in. So do you guys have similar experiences you can identify with or or have you been kind of on the same tracks? Well, we moved um, from Kurt's house that he had bought, you know, tw- he had owned it for 20 years before we got together. And he told me when we got together that if he ever had to move from that house, he would probably die. Oh, my. Um, but... <laughs> I, it was in the middle of nowhere and I was like super lonely and had to drive like 30 minutes to get to a grocery store. He was working. He had a long commute no matter where we lived, Um, but he would be gone for like 10, 11 hours a day. And I just really, I don't know. I wanted a smaller yard to take care of. Like I thought I had wanted like a big farmhouse. And then, and then when it turned out I was allergic to the air quality there, like the old farmhouse air, I was like, yeah, we have to move. So we moved to like a suburb of, I mean, of a small, of a really small town. So it's not like, Mm -hmm. I mean, but it's like, it's a little neighborhood and Mm -hmm. I felt terrible for a really long time for like forcing him to do that. 
but he likes it too. So I think yeah. I, I feel like I'm the one that always like requires the compromise in a lot of ways. <laughs> I was like, hey, you know, bust up your life, have some babies at age 60, uh, <laughs> then move for me, even though you told me from day one you weren't going to do that. Um, but that even that, like, I mean, that it hasn't always been easy to be the one demanding so much from someone else yeah. either. I feel, you know, I've well, had to, it like, usually it usually comes around too. like one person like compromises, then the other person usually will have to compromise at some point, I think. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, my I mean, my compromise, I think, is that like, I take care of the house and the kids and all, you know, make the dinners and I do all that kind of stuff. And I feel like I should at least be doing that in a place that I'm not allergic to and that I feel yeah. happy in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to, I wanted yeah. to add one thing about my story too, is like, um, in going to Korea, I actually ended up bringing a lot of great things into my life too. So like, even yeah. though it was a compromise at the time, like I got surprisingly a lot out of it, like ideas about career people that I care about very much. I would never have met if I hadn't gone to Korea, like theater, like becoming a director of theater, like so many things happen probably because I went to Korea. So sometimes those compromises can lead to amazing things too. Anyway. Yeah. I think if you're willing to make the compromise, you you've had something in you that's like, okay, I, I can flourish in this too somehow. Like if it were, you would that I think if you can't, that's when like the resentment comes in and like the mm. you know the anger and stuff like that. Well, I had both. I flourished and I had lingering resentment for a while. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, because there are always going to be moments when you flourish and moments when you're not flourishing. True, right? like, true. When you have, yes, especially, true. yeah. Anyway. I identified with the pause. I kind of like put myself in Jesse's shoes a little bit. Like even though Paris, I think would be a lot easier to get adjusted to than Korea. And like kind of my dream, <laughs> kind of my dream place to live. But still, whenever you're living in a country that's not your own, like there are going to be a lot of compromises you're making all the time. Like, mm -hmm. you know, if, if, if it wasn't your first goal, you know, mm -hmm. anyway. I'm just thinking in terms of like Celine and Jesse, like Celine, have we gotten to the part where we feel like she you know, moving to, that a move to Chicago would just be the end of everything, her career, her freedom, her, you know what I'm saying? Like she has zero um, space to see that that could be a, a positive, have any positive potential, you know? I feel like with somebody who has English as good as her, she could probably find something to do, but she I probably think, wouldn't be yeah. as a high, at as high a level as she could be in France. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like with the connections mm -hmm. she has. So like, I definitely think it would be a real, it probably would have a lot of impact on her to have to move to America. But they didn't, I mean, in this scene, like they didn't even really talk about it. It's just like, I guess that's the next thing on the list. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we'll talk yeah, about the yeah. okay. conflict how, of the how they talk about things is yeah very interesting yeah before mm. we talk about like the how they talk about the situation though um just want to bring up some other things that they some side conflicts come to light as well like celine uh talks about jesse always ogling girls and says that she's mm. stuck with an american teenager like and that made me think about in before sunset she's complaining about how french guys aren't horny enough and it's like well you got the horny guy you wanted. <laughs> like, that, com that comes with pluses and minuses also. Um, and she calls him Captain Cleanup, jokingly, because, like, she's insinuating that he doesn't clean things very well, which, you know, a lot of guys, I'm a lot of women, too. I'm kind of messy, so. But mm. if you're the partner that doesn't clean up, yeah. yeah, that, <laughs> you, probably, you probably earned your name. And then um, 
Then they then they talk about um, Jesse's upset because Celine says that he wasn't her first love. This is the only part of the entire movie that felt unbelievable to me because I feel like this is something they would have talked about already. Like right. you know, like right, 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 right. like like they would have already hashed this situation out. Like, oh, you were my first love, me too, or or oh, you actually weren't my first love. Oh, that's okay. But now they're talking mm-hmm. about it now, and Jesse's all upset. I'm like, what? Like, mm-hmm. how has this not mm-hmm. been covered? But maybe it's because they had the <laughs> twins too fast. I don't know. Hmm. Did, did, did anyone else think that was unbelievable or is it just me? No, I think I'm with you on that. So let's talk about, like, yeah, let's talk about how they talk about the situation with between Henry and Celine's job. I'm going to play a clip and then like we can do some commentary about that, including like I have so much to say about <laughs> their communication style, but we will do a really quick clip of that. Because I just thought somehow he'd end up living with us somewhere along the way. You know, now time's going by so fast. And here we are. It's high school, you know. There's girls. You know, next thing you know, it's college applications. Yeah, you're right. Maybe it's time. I mean, I really think it's time. Just tell his mom all this and ask if he can come and live with us. He'd that's love the, it. That, you can put him in that... That's, that's never going to happen, all right? She's never going to give me one thing that she's not legally obligated to. Do you want to call that lawyer again? No, I don't like that guy. It's terrible. Should I call his mother? Uh, no, please, never again. I mean, look, he doesn't even know how to throw a baseball. Who cares? He just he leads with his elbow. He throws like a girl. It's not your fault. No, it, it, it is my fault. A father is supposed to teach you that. Okay, he just doesn't like baseball. Look, it's an example, okay? okay? It's a yeah, metaphor right. for everything. He's turning 14, yeah. and he needs his father. Jesse, I'm not moving to Chicago. What did I ask you to? Where'd that come from, huh? I'm just thinking out loud. I mean, this is the one thing I promised myself I would never do, and I look up and I'm and I'm doing it. Well, you know? listen, you're a wonderful father. He loves the relationship you have. He loves the letters you send he him. He doesn't even he's... read the letters. No, of course he reads them. He just doesn't compliment the I just the know way that want. if I miss these years, they are never coming back. This is how people start breaking up. Oh, my God. Well, no, you, no, just, no. You, you just jumped off a cliff. No, no, I'm marking no. this. This is the day no. you like the ticking bomb that will destroy our lives. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What? Well, first off, you don't write a ticking bomb. Okay, you set it. It has oh, a okay. timer. Whatever. That's why it ticks. Whatever. Okay, it has a timer. Well, you know what? It's ticking mm-hmm. right now. And, and this is how it happens. You're unhappy, you blame it on the other person, resentment grows, everything slowly rot, and you break you're up. You're just That's doing it. this to shut me up. Not okay. at all. No, you Not are. at all. That's what you're doing. No, 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 no. Yeah. No, I'm actually surprised we lasted this long. Oh, okay. I just I, I want to give those okay I I I I don't want to dominate the conversation but like when the whole time I'm watching this I just want to give them two tools like I want to <laughs> I it. want to I give them I wanted to give them the book Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg and I wanted mm-hmm. to give Celine especially but probably both of them cognitive behavioral therapy tips because okay so first of all um, nonviolent communication. Um, it's based on like when you're having conversations, like a lot of times what people want is they don't want you to solve something. They don't want you to mm. like, like, like tell them what you think about the situation. They just want you to reflect their feelings back to them, you know? Mm. So like when Jesse's like, he can't even throw a baseball, like instead of being like, who cares? Celine says, who cares? Well, obviously Jesse cares, right? Mm-hmm. So like you, you would say something like, do you feel sad because 
you really want to share that experience with him or something. You you would try to find out what the feeling underlying that is, or do you feel scared that he's missing out on something? You would try you'd find what Jesse's feeling is, and then he'd probably say, yeah, I feel really scared, and then he'd tell some more. And then you continue just kind of like identifying what the person is feeling and like listening to them. And a lot of times, like just letting that person vent their feelings solves a lot of the problem, like right there. Like there's other times when people do want a solution, right? Like, but he doesn't seem to be in that mode because she's trying to throw out solutions. Well, we'll call the lawyers. Like, no, it'll never work. We'll do this. No. Like mm. it's to me, it felt like he just wanted some to like have his feelings heard and listened to. And then at the same time, when she's like, this is how people break up to me, that's like her. She's afraid. She's so fucking afraid. She's insecure. She thinks he's going to leave her. Right. And like, Instead of being like, Celine, do you feel like scared because you think I would leave you or something? Like he's like, like you bring it to this level and blah, blah, blah. And he starts kind of judging her when she's in the middle of feeling afraid. And this is how I looked at the whole scene because I read that book and it kind of changed my mind. My, my, it changed how I react, how I interacted with people, especially my husband. Like, and it really reduced the amount of disagreements we had because like, if we just like say like, what am I feeling right now? We'll kind of cue each other back to like using that style of communication instead. And it just ends so many arguments before they begin. Right. Mm -hmm. So like on the one hand, I wanted them to do that. And then on the other hand, I did think Celine was catastrophizing a little bit and like possibly Jesse, like, like that's a distorted thinking in terms of cognitive behavioral therapy. Like, because Jesse's saying that he misses his son, that means we're going to break up. You know what I mean? Uh-huh, <laughs> She's like uh-huh, making uh-huh. making mm-hmm. this one conversation into the end of everything. And like mm-hmm. I do that all the time. I have a lot of distorted thinking. It's one of the roots of my depression and anxiety. And like when I started working with a cognitive behavioral therapist, it really helped me. And the more I practice like interrupting my distorted thoughts, like the better I feel. So mm-hmm. like, I just like, I wanted to be their therapist so badly. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> these are two people who love each other. They care about each other. They have this mm-hmm. life together, but they're going, their communication is just at cross purposes. And, and, and this is the first inkling of that. And then we see it later in the movie. Okay. That's my whole speech. Say anything <laughs> else. I'm, I, I, I'm sorry if I covered everything or if, if, if no, but, like, what, what else, what do you guys think about this whole interaction here? Uh, uh, the same, like all I hear is, I, I totally this time especially was hearing Jesse more just being like just just venting these feelings because she says it later on in the big fight you do this every time he leaves well if he does it every time he leaves then stop freaking out like he's not <laughs> you aren't gonna move to Chicago do you know what I mean like I, I can see where there was a part of me that wanted her to just kind of yeah do that sit there and listen but you know she's also going through her own like yeah. what am I doing next and so yeah. when you're freaked out in your own brain listening yeah. to somebody else's stuff like yeah that's why they're both they're totally not hearing each other and that's really hard when you're going through something and your partner's going through something and like you need and want the other person to support and listen at the same time that's ooh, yeah that's that's hard that's when you do fight and that's when it is hard and yeah and, uh, but do you think yeah. do you think that he really is just like venting and talking through stuff or do you think that he has this idea like let's move to chicago and he's just not being clear about it 
Well, that's interesting because in the commentary, like Jesse, like Ethan Hawke said, he was playing it as if like like he really was trying to get her to move to Chicago. But yeah. but, but even so, mm-hmm. but even so, if she was using nonviolent communication and they were and he was doing it regularly, I still think they would have an easier time. At least they would have clarity about what they're actually saying, you know, instead of playing mm-hmm. these mind games with each other. Which it yeah. feels like that's what they're doing. And oh, the thing that irritated me, it would irritate me so much if I was Celine, was when he was like, "That's not how a bomb works," or something. You know, like the ticking. Oh bomb God, thing. yeah. That's- <laughs> Oh my god, that would that would That's piss like, me off so much. <laughs> like, like this whole like, uh, what is what is the word? Um, is, shit. Is, is- kind of gaslighting kind of like no no i'm thinking of the word when like it's like when you're the word about words when you're like oh. um semantics not, semantics yes it's just like semantics yeah. like what the fuck like don't I, be doing I, that I, in the middle of a cr- emotional thing <laughs> i definitely do that no <laughs> i do i can't help it <laughs> Like, I don't mind it if it's like when you're not having an emotional crisis, but if you're like also like really emotional, that would just drive me insane. I would just, yeah, like, it's, yeah. I'm, I'm not proud of it. I do that in fights. <laughs> <laughs> that one wouldn't have gotten me, but other, other ones would have. Like, he does, he does one later. I forget what it is. Maybe we'll come to it. But a it's toaster like, it's- and an oven. Like, she's saying she wanted to grab a toaster <laughs> and it was really was meaning an oven. Yeah. I remember both of them because I was like, no, don't do that. <laughs> Put her head in I mean, I would have to be, I would have to be like pretty mad. I have yeah. to, I must say it's yeah. not, just, it's not a casual, like yeah. I'm going to be that terrible in a casual argument. I would have to be like pretty riled up. Okay. <laughs> Zoe's a Jesse. We found out. <laughs> I am totally a Jesse. I, I, I feel like I could handle arguing with him in this movie. I like Celine drives me insane. I could not stand <laughs> To, to have these conversations with her. <laughs> I would much rather somebody like joke and try to diffuse the tension than to like go to the places she goes. I see myself mm. in both of them. And I also see like things I, that infuriate me about both of them. Yeah. So I'm kind of a little both. I mean, I'm not saying that I don't infuriate myself also. I mean, who I don't like to fight, but <laughs> I'll, I'll claim my Jessiness. Any, anything else about this scene? The, the warm-up argument? Mm. No. <laughs> okay. So, Sophia, you're going to tell us all about the major location of the film, which is the house that the that we see Jesse and Celine staying at. So um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm giving the floor over to you. Okay. I hope I do it justice. So the Lee Fermor house is beautiful. This is where they have their writer's retreat. This home was built in Cardamili, Mani, where he lived for most of his life. Um, in 1996, uh, he and his wife, Joan, donated the house to the Benaki Museum because they wanted the house to remain open to the public and host researchers. It does host residences and educational activities, um, partnering with universities, and it also schedules visits and public uh, events. A little bit about Patrick Lee Fermore. He was born in London, um, February 11th, 1915. And he, you know, came from old money, but he really wasn't the greatest student. um, And he got kicked out of places. And so I feel like he was a self-educated writer and adventurer. And as a young man, like 18 or something, he decided to travel from the Hook of Holland to Constantinople, today Istanbul, um, on foot. 
And he did it. And he slept in barns and in villagers' homes. And he was really touched by the hospitality that was extended to him. And he rode a time of gifts on foot to Constantinople from the Hook of Holland to the middle of Danube in 1934. And so this became the first of many travel by foot books that he wrote about. In relation to this film, Mani travels to the southern Peloponnese and the companion book, Romali, travels in northern Greece. So this man, this this Patrick, was really quite an amazing character. Um, I quoted from an article that we can also put in um, the show notes. He captures the sights, smells, and sounds of a Europe the Nazis were casting to oblivion. And when World War II engulfed the continent, this daredevil didn't just watch Hitler torture it from the sidelines. He enlisted in the British Army, landed on the Greek island of Crete as an anti-Nazi secret agent, and disguised himself as a shepherd under the name Mr. Michaelis uh, to help locals kidnap a German general. And wow. this episode um, is even inspired the Hollywood film Ill Met by Moonlight, renamed Night Ambush. So, like, totally true. I mean, wild, right? Um, He's described as one journalist, uh, I believe this is from the BBC, a cross between Indiana Jones, James Bond, and Graham Greene. He is, for many, the 20th century's most distinct travel writing voice. And fun fact about the house, um, it has over 5,000 books in it. Even the four bathrooms have bookshelves. I mean, of course. course. That makes me so happy. (laughs) And Linklater said... You know, when they were brainstorming about where they wanted to film this one, you know, they were thinking about Greece and Spain and Italy. And he was taking a trip to kind of like canvas areas or whatever, you know. But the first stop was at the Lee Fermer house. And he felt that that spot was so right for the film that he canceled the rest of his trip and stayed there. And the author's actual housekeeper is in the filming during the dinner scene. So yeah, and I think they must have named the character funny. Patrick after him too. Like the old man who owns the house must have been named after him. Mm-hmm. So this this movie and this house takes us to the the first in the before series, like we said before, where they're really interacting in depth with other people and their children, of course, and then this group at the house. And I thought it was interesting because I think when you're first in love, you can kind of feel like you're the only two people on the planet. But emotionally, you st- you return to your regular life, you know, and you and you start to interact more with other people again. You're not, not disappearing together as much anymore. So I thought it was a nice way of echoing the, the way a relationship proceeds even. The other thing about this, I think it shows like how your behavior can change when you're when you're a couple, when you're around your kids as opposed to when you're by yourselves and when you're with other people. And I thought it was interesting to see Celine and Jesse in all three of those situations, like interacting together with the kids, interacting by themselves and interacting with the other people. And um, I didn't always find like particularly Celine's behavior around the other people to be very admirable, (laughs) but which we'll get into in a little bit here. But like, I did think it was, it was definitely interesting that, that they played all these different shades of their relationship. Being around the other people at first, before the dinner scene, there's just this like period where we see them hanging around the house. So Celine's in the kitchen with the women preparing the food, which happens a lot, I think, in life still, even though we have this like more feminist society in some ways, like women still a lot of times end up doing the domestic stuff, like in group situations. Um, And then we see Jesse, like you said, lounging around with on the balcony with Patrick, the older writer and Stefanos. I don't really know what Stefanos does. I can't remember what his job was supposed to be, but he's he's not a writer. I don't think. 
And then through the other people, you get to hear what Jesse's books were basically about. So this time was before sunrise. That time is the equivalent of before sunset. Apparently that time is just like a lot of sex. <laughs> like, uh, so we know, so we know now that at the end of before sunset, they blacked out the windows and had sex for like 10 days or something is what supposedly happened. And, um, then Jesse's third book has like the most pretentious title. Oh my God. Um, temporary cast members of a long running, but little seen production of a play called fleeting. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I would, I feel like bring me the horns of Wilmington's cow sounds more relatable than that. title. <laughs> yes. But I don't know. Maybe it was a masterpiece. We don't know. The older guy liked it. And I like Patrick, that character. So maybe, you know, Maybe he maybe it was a good book. And then um, Jesse's latest book, he talks about his latest idea. Sounds like this kind of like to me, esoteric link ladder project where like the idea is that everyone has different perceptual issues. Like one person has, uh, they are people with facial recognition extremes. Like one person can't remember anyone's face. One person can remember everybody's face that they ever saw, like even strangers on the street. And then a guy who looks at anything and sees that it's inevitably going to change or die or something like that. Like he looks at the sea and he sees it dry up. And then there's like a per person who has perpetual deja vu, which I looked up. There is a thing, perpetual deja vu. Like there's, mm. I have an article I'll put in the show notes about it where like there's people who are always experiencing deja vu and it's really unsettling to them. Uh, it's a quote from the article from somebody who's called Dr. Mulan. He says, there was one instance where he went to get a haircut as he walked in, he got a feeling of deja vu. Then he had deja vu of the deja vu. He couldn't think of anything else. Wow. wow. I'm like, where would that end, though? If you had deja vu of the deja vu, would you then have deja vu of the deja vu? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't <laughs> and they, they don't really know what causes it yet. Um, they're not sure. So hmm. it does not sound pleasant to me. Like, would you read this book, this concept book that Jesse has? Like, does this sound like good to you guys or where all the people with the perceptual issues get together and I guess they're at a screening of on the waterfront or something? No. I mean, I don't, I don't no. want to diss it without reading it because I feel like <laughs> you could, you could like describe an idea poorly and execute it really well. But like, I don't know. It, it sounds overwrought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then I like one thing I noticed in this scene was how um, the camera work in the scene shows um, Achilles and Anna go by the young couple and they show Anna's wearing this kind of skimpy swimsuit bottom. And like the camera work shows the Jesse's eyeline following her butt. And like, I love that the camera work verifies what Celine has accused him of doing. <laughs> so we don't have to doubt. We know like, she's right. He is ogling women. Right. Like, and, um, I, like apparently the camera person who was actually filming that scene was upset because they said, Jesse would never do that. He and Celine are, <laughs> are true love. And I'm like, dude, what planet are you from? <laughs> like, it doesn't mean like, like not every person just like shuts down like their, you know, libido like towards other people when they get married. <laughs> yeah. But it was kind of charming that the movie had such an effect on someone that like, yeah. they, they didn't want to film Jesse, like looking at somebody else's butt. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was sweet too. Anything else you guys want to say about the scene hanging out on the patio or in the kitchen? I don't know. I think I would just go out on the patio if I were Celine and I wanted to be out there. Yeah. <laughs> just be like, you like guys sometimes can make you just salad. gotta 
Right, especially if she's getting bossed around about how to like fill the tomatoes, just like freaking go outside, you know? That's what I would do. Yeah. Yeah, definitely there's a sense in which you can perpetuate put keeping yourself in these roles, like by trying to play nice with people. And like sometimes you just have to be like, you know, other women, you're okay with doing this. You know, I'm going to go away for a while. Yeah, yeah. totally. All right. So the dinner party scene for me was probably my favorite part of the movie. Um, And it's the part of the movie that involves all the older actors. We don't see the kids. The kids aren't at dinner. Um, And the movie sets up like, and deliberately, I guess they did this. They set up two older people who are not necessarily a couple. I don't think they're supposed to be. Patrick, who owns the house, his friend, Natalia, who his, her late husband was a great friend of his, like a brother. So there's the older people. There's a Stephanos and um, Ariadne who are like the same age, middle-aged couple, but like very different kind of approaches to things. And then there's Anna and Achilles who are like the young couple who are like the, the Jesse and Celine of today. And so these people are all set up at this dinner table having conversation with each other. Patrick kind of one of the things he opens up with is a toast and says, Jesse's the first writer to visit with a partner who's more interesting than himself, like about Celine. And to me, I think that speaks really well of Jesse, like, like whatever his flaws may be like a guy who will take on a woman who's like very impressive and like talented and intelligent, like that always speaks well of a guy to me. I, I always do find it a little strange when there's like a huge, like intellectual level disconnect especially when the the man is smarter than the woman i just kind of like that kind of relationship gives me a little side eye yeah i roll my (laughs) eyes at it for sure for sure there's so many guys who seem to be into that kind of shit or 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 guys who perceive their partner initially as being less intellectually you know stimulating the Uh, man and then they wake up one day they realize their woman is really smart and i think they don't like that i've seen that happen mm. too well, I mean, is this jumping too far ahead? No, when, a, there's no spoilers. So okay, go no spoilers. So it, as part of that conversation, you know, so Celine says that you know Jesse's a closet macho guy and wants you know secretly wants to be with a bimbo. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then and then she does this whole like, oh, uh, Mister, you're so handsome, and that made me cringe. It made me cringe. Oh, I know. It, it, and then it like went on for far too long, and I was like, "Why, why is she doing that?" <laughs> it wasn't funny to me at all. No, I mean, it made my it was, skin crawl. <laughs> it was funny to me in the in the in the being a movie. It was funny to me, like like just in terms of like her accurately performing like this type of girl that some guys might find attractive. If I thought about it, and and like, would I do this at a dinner party in front of a bunch of people? No. <laughs> like, yeah, that's what was so. You know, yeah, it was weird. But I thought it was like a very good performance of like the type of girl that some guys like, oh, you're a writer? Like, like books? <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like yeah. books? <laughs> <laughs> and then when she thinks like Romeo and Juliet's like the novelization of the movie, like she pretends that, yeah. But but the thing is like, she's saying that he wants this, but at the same time he's chosen her. So it's like, to uh, me, I'm yeah. like... So maybe he has a little of both. Maybe he has both impulses. I don't know. It might have been funnier if it hadn't come right after when she like pokes the hole in their whole romance and is like, it's a disaster. And it, you know, it was like, uh, oh my gosh, like mm-hmm. that felt so awkward too. Yeah. Like maybe it wouldn't have felt as awkward at a dinner party, but as a viewer of all these movies, it was just like, 
you got to be kidding me. Like, why are you being so mean? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The context for that is like the young couple, Anna and Echelaus, ask how they met and they find out about how they met with like the meeting and then not seeing each other and then writing the book. And then she, they ran into each other again or something. And then, she, and then, and they're like, oh, it sounds so romantic. And she's like, no, it was a disaster. Like, and then we mm-hmm. had twins right away and I've been chained to a sink. Yeah. Like, yeah. She's right away. She's like not having any of it. And you can kind of see Jesse looking hurt too mm-hmm. during mm-hmm. that part yeah and I then she's like, hurt and he's yeah she <laughs> says it was a disaster and then jesse says no it, it was inevitable and i'm like oh yeah mm. <laughs> you're hanging on to the romance of it she's not and like i want to be is, fair is it to because she's, yeah because she's the one that is pregnant with twins that's not yeah. easy that's yeah. that's shit on your body and then to give birth is you know and then to have him (laughs) but really hard and then yeah i mean to have him be on book tours etc yeah yeah i don't know like nine years later eight years later or whatever like at that point in my opinion you can turn like it's so far in the past especially with little kids and how quickly they change you can kind of change those stories in your mind and like yeah Mm -hmm. there are certainly like some super hard times about early days with babies and all that but like if you're still hanging on to that eight years later i kind of think that's a problem in you like i don't does that sound strange i don't know i feel like i yeah no no it doesn't sound strange yeah or a problem in their communication because it was as we've seen they don't necessarily like always hear each other. So maybe she's tried to talk about this to Jesse like uh, her mm, early experiences sure. and never felt like seen or something. So I don't know. Yeah. It's hard. But I think there's an element of like like the the story of their romance. Like you can tell that story. Maybe it's not 100% true and maybe there were elements of it that were harder than than the nice picture shows, but like at a certain point, you're you're like choosing what story to tell and what story to live, right? Mm-hmm. And they're definitely telling different stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're bringing out their baggage at dinner. Um, but Awkward. It's, the, but the, whole, <laughs> the whole dinner isn't just about their baggage. So like, there's a number of other conversations that take place. Like, for example, um, Anna and Echelaus, the young couple, uh, talk about how they met and they met at kind of the end of a holiday and then they had to part, but they kept in touch over Skype and mm-hmm. they like go to bed with the laptops looking at them like while they're going to bed, fall asleep with the lap. I would, that doesn't sound appealing to me, but then the, he talks about how they'll wake up in the morning and see her sleeping in a funny position. Like, like, <laughs> like the romance of that doesn't really appeal to me, but like um, it doesn't sound romantic to me, but at the same time it like allows them to have a relationship. So that was an interesting thing. And then they talk about things like, I don't know how they got on to talking about virtual sex, but they start talking then about how the future might be just virtual sex and like you program in your preferences and like have whatever experience you want. And like, I think that probably is in the future. I don't know whether it'll catch on or not, though. I'm not sure. What do you what do you guys think about Hmm. this discussion of technology in the film? Like anything stand out to you? Yes, it's interesting because last time I was talking about uh, like when we did before sunset, I was talking about how it was important to me at a certain point in my life to like meet people in person and to have like make real life friendships and real life relationships, you know, yeah. as opposed to like ones that generated online. Um, but I've also almost always like fallen in love with people via like t- texting, 
you know, or, mm-hmm. or messaging, even if I met them in person. Hmm. Um, hmm. Kurt and I used to Skype like quite a bit. We lived apart for a long time uh, at the beginning of our relationship. So I like I like those tools, even if I really like need and, and recognize that I need the like chemistry of real life before I can like step into that uh, part of it. I, I enjoy having technology tools. And like talking about not having time to like have a real conversation, I will, I'll, Kurt and I will definitely text important things, you know? Yeah. And I'm glad to have that if we need to talk about something without a kid listening in. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't think about that aspect of it, but yeah, definitely. Before we had our daughter, we would sit at the kitchen table, both with our laptop up and just um, like email each other or text each other right right across from each other it was to be silly and kind of cute you know that (laughs) here we are our faces in a screen doing our own work or whatever like working together but doing our thing but then sending a little note yeah that was fun that was cute oh those days Leah and I do not text much like like we'll text like for very businessy things but we don't really text or message or any of that stuff very much um but I have appreciated um when we've had to be apart from each other I've definitely appreciated like FaceTime for Mm -hmm. sure and we met online we met on live journal but like I'm such a I'm so analog like, like there, when I text with people, like I, or message with people, it can definitely feel romantic, but it's like, I always just want to be with the person. Like, I'm always mm. just like, when do, when can we get together? Like, if, mm. if, that, if it's a possibility, I'm like, when can you visit? Like, I'll go there. Like, you know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. I'm just, it, it, I mean, a real letter is something else to me. Like a real letter Ooh, is like yeah. romantic to me because it takes so much effort, right? And like, yeah, the and the impression of the person's hand like has gone onto that paper. I guess the impression of the person's hand typed the thing too. But I don't know. I'm an, I'm old school, I guess. And I'm yes. like Patrick. There's this like old guy Patrick. I related to him so much in that scene because there's somebody like, what are you? What's going to happen when somebody can write a book or a computer can write a book as what good as War and Peace or something? And he said it'll never happen. And I actually happen to agree with Patrick because I r- researched a little bit about this for like um, we were doing something in our master's course about whether computers could take over as English teachers, really, really or like translation could take over l- language learning entirely. And like as best as I could tell researching that people who were had backgrounds in both linguists as linguists and computer science said that it actually can't be done. Like that there are limits to what computers can replicate. Like mm-hmm. language, language is so complex, so ever changing, yeah. so many shades of meaning that you wouldn't really be able to have complete translation. Partial sure, but not complete. Mm-hmm. You lose something. And when you start losing something, it can go off track very quickly after that. And then, a book forget about it like you can write like have you seen those things that are written by algorithms like like titles for things or like scenes for, or poems or whatever yeah they're always just a little off kilter they're interesting they are, yeah they're interesting but they're not human you can tell mm. that they're not human mm. and i just don't think they're going to get to that place what do you guys think about this virtual sex thing that they bring up too though like like i, I just i like it's not even a thought in my head where I'm like, okay, whatever. I don't know what. <laughs> Do you think it would like take like Celine's like I might like that, and I'm like, yeah, no, like <laughs> I don't know. I don't like, 
I don't, I, I feel like there's definitely like some sort of dark appeal in it in a sense. Like you could have whatever you wanted, the thing of your dreams, but like, I, I just can like, already have that in my brain though. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't, why do I need the, com- I, I don't understand what. <laughs> well, like, why do we see movies then though? Cause like movies in some sense, like fulfill, you know, like fantasies that are more made more real in the movie, you know, some movies, not all. But I, I don't think of all the plots of all the movies, but it's like if I'm programming in exactly what I want, I don't. It's the holodeck, like on Star Trek and yeah, how many yeah. of those characters fell in love on the holodeck. I there didn't watch go. it, so I don't know. But like, no, I don't know either. Elaborate on Star Trek. Next generation. Okay, okay, okay. Get over, get over it, and tell us about it. <laughs> um, Star Trek: Next Generation. There's this thing called the holodeck, and you do you make up, you program basically worlds and they kind of go on and on. You go into this space that just goes on and on forever. And Riker fell in love. Jordy fell in love. I don't know. Somebody has with, all with people who aren't really there. Right. But they're uh, practically real, but they're not, you know, yeah. and they can't exist outside the holodeck. Um, the, you know, Worf yeah. would program in some like, you know, Klingon, you know, fighting training thing that only he could get on the holodeck because he lives on a ship and he's not on Klingon. You know what I mean? So yeah. it can be whatever you want it to be. And um, so that's that was my only comparison that it's like the whole. No. Yeah. See, and that- <laughs> I can't believe I'm the only Star Trekky on, on the show. Well, right we now. need to get Serena back. Yeah. She, oh, yeah, she- OK. <laughs> But I mean, you, you don't, I guess on the holodeck, you don't feel like you're with something that's, that's like fake, right? That's the yeah. whole point. It's supposed to be But that would be, be the so point of the virtual real. sex too, though. That would be the point of this virtual sex idea. So yeah. I get, I get, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. I but don't know. So I like, think- I, I don't like, it's like, it's limited by your own imagination, which like, I don't mm. struggle with my own imagination in, you know what I mean? Like. But then you don't get any of the surprises of being with another person, like the real life surprises and like. Oh yeah, no, I'm not saying you know. I want this. I'm just saying, like, do you guys think it's a credible thing necessarily? Too like the people. Oh, I sh- really don't know. Like, I sure. I, like, I think that it's possible, and I think I people think, might like it. I yeah. just am not one of them. Yeah. Same. Same. <laughs> and I think like part of like I think people in some ways like being somewhat thwarted in their desires too like when you can always get everything exactly the way you want it all the time like I think it mm. takes a little bit of the tension out of it things maybe <laughs> I don't know no yeah that I think that's what I was trying to get at with like the the unexpectedness of being with a real person like yeah you know yeah yeah so one other thing they get to um, at the dinner is there's talks about differences between men and women. So there's this story that Ariadne character tells, which she purports to be from like her mother or something about how she was a nurse and she would work with people coming out of a coma. And all the women would ask about like all the people mm. in their lives that they cared about. Were they okay? Like, is everyone fine? And then all the men would immediately look and check on their penis. And <laughs> apparently this is a real story that Richard Linklater's mom told about her work. So, so we, if we take it from Richard Linklater's mom, this is actually a thing. And like, I like, I think it's like the movies have always had a little bit about this, sort of this gender, like differences between men and women kind of thing, like men and women war thing. So this is a callback to that in a way. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, I, I find that believable in a sense. But then again, if I had an appendage that stuck off of my body that was that important and could easily have something yes. happen to it, I might worry too. Well, that was my thought. Like, it's got to be weird to have a penis. I've always thought this. I used to like ask my brother all these like technical questions because I was like, I didn't really understand how like you would move through space with this thing there. Like, how do you sit? How I just did not comprehend like the the technical reality of having a penis. I don't. Yeah, that doesn't make me feel bad about men. I I'm glad that they check for it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I would do it too. <laughs> <laughs> yep yep i can i can understand it i can understand the impulse okay so then um let's see there's a little bit like there's different views of love at this dinner table too and like i feel like yeah. everybody else is so practical and you never hear what jesse and celine think about love which i think is mm. very significant like you get to hear everyone else's opinion like anna and Achilles like talk about staying in touch long distance but then they also just straight out say in front of each other we don't assume we're going to be together forever. And Anna says maybe the idea of like people being together forever is out of date or something. <laughs> and talks and she tells a story about her great grandmother said that friends and work were more important. And like, that just blew my mind. Like this young couple, like in the first flush of love, like just being like, yeah, we're probably won't be together forever. And like, just like, that's fine. Like in front of each other. I was like, whoa. yeah, I don't know. Did that seem, does that seem strange to you too? Like, to me, like, I've always had this, like, feeling like I'm definitely going to be with this person forever. It didn't turn out to be true most times, right. but, like, yeah. but, that's, but that's, like, a fuel that in some way that the relationship ran on. You know, like, I'm thinking about my first boyfriend, my high school boyfriend, and how, like, there was part of me that knew there's that, you know, this relationship wouldn't stay together because, like, that would that would be really odd. Like, I think people who it's it's very foreign to me to think about being with someone since high school yeah. you know I know that people do it I have friend, close friends who are in you know still with their high school sweethearts but to me that sounds like bizarre um so I and and I knew that that relationship wasn't a great match it was you know mm-hmm. it was just it did not have the makings of a long-term love but it was still hard to like admit that even to myself even knowing it you know what I mean but maybe that would be healthier Maybe that would have been healthier just to say like, hey, we're we're high schoolers. We're like trying stuff out and, and we'll get what we can out of this and then move on. Maybe that would be a good thing. Yeah, I don't think I could operate like that. It's really practical. Do you know? And, and like maybe uh, especially as a young person, like a very, I don't know, is that a mature thought? Um, where isn't kind of the fun of it to be like, la, and, and <laughs> I don't know kind of being a blissful never-ending like yeah and another thing is i don't know if it's necessarily mature or not maybe it's more realistic but like like any like any relationship though like if you if you really want it to flourish maybe the best way is not to expect it to last forever or to end at a specific point but just to Mm -hmm. live in the moment of the relationship and let each moment play out and because life is always changing so your circumstances may change i don't know yeah, and it, so, and as you said earlier, like anything can happen to any of us at any minute, and like, yeah. as long yeah. as we're just enjoying the the moment for what it is. Yeah, we've solved love, everybody. There you go. <laughs> Every rom com. Every rom com. People. <laughs> so yes. we'll talk about what these other people think, but we have all the answers now. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. No, I actually really like what Patrick says. And I don't know if it's because, you know, as I mentioned earlier, like my husband is a lot older than me. And I had to come to terms with that before getting married, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's not, it's not something that I just don't think about. And like, you know, maybe I've solved love intellectually, but feeling it, you know, it's not always that easy to just stay in the moment and stay open to everything. So yeah. I had to kind of come to terms with the fact that, you know, best case scenario, everything goes like absolutely as as wonderfully as it could possibly go. Like I'm going to have a big piece of my life without him, right? Yeah. Um, so I like what he says about the end of the day. It's not the love of one other person that matters. It's the love of life and how he and his wife were always somewhat separate. And I don't, you know, I don't know if we really live that out per se. Like we're very close. We're together all day. Like, and that's great. Um, Our lives are very entwined, but he is an expert at things that I don't understand at all. And I've Mm -hmm. always found that attractive. Like our, our minds are very separate and we, we have conversations. It's not that we don't have any common ground at all. We, we have a lot of common ground, but there's something satisfying about being with someone who doesn't know all the things that I know and who I don't know all the things that he knows. And like, I I find that stimulating, even if we're not always talking about each other's, you know, areas, you know, I go both ways. I I feel like I need people in my life who are like right there with me, like on the same same wavelength. Like Mm -hmm. I, I have a desire for that relationship, but I also really enjoy having somebody who is like, has these mysteries that I will never uncover. Like (laughs) I will never understand batteries. We have sat down before kids. We've sat down at the kitchen table and he's tried to explain electricity to me. And like, Mm. it was a great conversation. Don't remember any of it. And Uh I kind of like that. (laughs) Yeah. So there's like, yeah, Patrick's idea is like keeping us like a separateness as well. And also just like loving life, which is, I mean, super important. And then Ariadne says she has low expectations for Stephanos and she knows he won't meet her needs, any of them. I think she's partially joking. He must meet some of her needs, but like they're definitely much more like they're the other middle-aged couple and they're definitely much more loose with each other and much more like uh, willing to have quick outbursts of anger that are quickly resolved. And yeah, they're not really what I would idealize either though, because they both seem a little bit like unromantic in a sense. But what do you guys think about those two? Yeah, I didn't really feel anything for them. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. I I, I want to get to Natalia. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Natalia is my favorite, too. Mm-hmm. So after everybody's been talking about these things for a while and like kind of treating love a little bit lightly, I would even say like more as a practical matter, Natalia just comes out with this like amazing speech And she has lost her husband recently and she's talking about kind of the pain of that and the little things she remembers. And really like this whole speech just harkens back to me for so many, for to so many things from the other films, like mortality and the little things about people and everything that, that, that Celine talks about in sunset. So I'm going to play the clip. I'm going to play quite a bit of the clip. To me, this clip is like the defining moment of the whole movie but around which everything else revolves, even though it's Jesse and Celine's story, I feel like this clip for me says it all. But we'll talk about whether you guys agree with me or not at the end of it. (laughs) Well, when I think of Elias, what I miss the most about him is the way he used to lie down next to me at night. Sometimes his arm would 
stretched along my chest, and I couldn't move. I, I even held my breath. But I felt safe, complete. And I missed the way he was whistling, walking down the street. And every time I do something, I think of what he would say. Well, it's cold today, wear a scarf. <laughs> but lately, I've been forgetting little things. He's sort of fading, and I'm starting to forget him. And it's like, like losing him again. So sometimes I make myself remember every detail of his face. The exact color of his eyes, his lips, his, his teeth, the texture of his skin, his hair. That was all gone by the time he went. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes, I can actually see him. It's as if a cloud moves away and there he is. I could almost touch him. But then the real world rushes in and he vanishes again. For a while I did this every morning when the sun was not too bright outside. The sun somehow makes him vanish. Yes, he appears and he disappears like a sunrise, sunset, anything so ephemeral. Just like our life. Hmm? We appear and we disappear. And we are so important to some but we are just passing through. So passing through. <laughs> yeah, I cried I a little bit when I watched that first. Oh, I when think I Delphi wrote that part. I think that's a that's my thought. It sounds so much like Celine. Yeah. But not yeah. in this movie, not her character in this movie. Yeah. Not in this movie, yeah. Jesse actually appears more moved in the movie, like, and he grabs her hand and, like, yeah. Yeah. And I want to say that, like, for all the big talk about being practical, like, where they're, like, t- talking to the other people and agreeing with them, I think Jesse and Celine are more like Natalia yeah. in their hearts, and they're hurt mm. right now. But I think that their philosophy of love would fall closer to Natalia and just, like, not even that it's a philosophy, but it's a feeling, you know, mm-hmm. like a feeling of like being complete together or being safe together or remembering all those details. It also made me think of Jesse on the train talking about his grandma in the, in the, uh, oh. in the spray of the, yeah. of the, Her, his grandmother's the ghost. Yeah. yeah. Just for yeah. a minute. That moment. Yeah. And she even says, like, sunrise or sunset or anything so ephemeral. It's like she's totally calling back the movie titles. So that's why I'm like, this is yeah. this is the shit right here. Like, you yeah. can talk all your big crap about, like, you know, like, we, we do our relationship like this. And we know we're going right. to end. And, th- and then there's this reality of this woman who just loved her husband so much and now is missing him. And now he's gone. Yeah. yeah. That emotional reality. And even, like, the the compromise of, like... She can't even breathe because his arm is on her, but she's <laughs> just like, you know, yeah, she's just like accepting it because they're there together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a bit of a Natalia probably. <laughs> yeah. But 
And it made me think about like if if Lee dies before me, like how I would probably feel and like how I'd be like trying to remember him and stuff. And I'm like, ah, it made me a little. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah, I remember early on when, you know, our marriage, we were, we were standing on, a, you know, a hot subway platform and talking about dying, I guess. And it was like, you know, who who would you want to die first? You or me? And I said, you. Because I wouldn't want you to be sad, you know, if I died first. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, these things that you think about and say, it's like, and it's like, oh, you want me to kick the bucket for Greg jokes that on uh, his tombstone, I would write the words, the word finally. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh. No, it's hilarious. Finally, you're gone. Because, you know, the day to day is a lot of like, as they talk about later, hey, look at us walking, not talking about scheduling food. It's so like, hey, you're going to in the kids, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that's when we pick on each other and get frustrated with each other. It's like, ah, you just wish I was, I'm just ruining your life and you just be better off without me. And finally, I, which is really funny. It's really funny. You have to know how we laugh so hard at that. Because it's absolutely not how I feel. Yeah. I do not ever think that. But I mean, I might have to. I might have to now. Like somewhere down low, little, finally. Because it would be our joke from like our whole marriage. It would make people anyway. laugh when they visited the cemetery. They'd, they'd yeah. Visit yeah. I would hope so. That's what I want. Or be but, very yeah. confused. Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> so but no, um, it's true. All the little things. All the little things. Yeah. So any more about the dinner that people want to sit put in though before we, no. before we move on? Okay. So then they do their walk to the hotel and um, they didn't want, oh yeah. In the dinner party, it comes up that like Celine doesn't want to go to the hotel anymore. They've been given the night in a hotel together without their kids. Uh, Stefano and Ariane are going to watch their kids and like it's their romantic night. And Celine's been like trying to get out of it. Um, mm -hmm. But now they're going, they've been pressured by the others into going to this hotel. And um, she asks him on the way, if we were meeting for the first time today on a train, would you find me attractive? And Jesse says, of course. But then like she presses it like, well, would you get off the train? And he's like, well, wouldn't I like, what's my situation? Would I be cheating on you? And then she gets upset at him. She's like, why couldn't you just say yes? I wanted you to mm. say something romantic and you blew it. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> like this, 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 this to me, like <sighs> I, 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 I have probably done something like this to Lee before or one of my other mm -hmm. boyfriends. Like I probably said something like this, like a test sort of, you know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. and we shouldn't do it. But it happens when you're feeling insecure or you're feeling like you need some affirmation. Sometimes you'll just put that out there. Or at least I have done that. I don't, I'm not going to say that you guys have. I'm sure that I have before, but I don't do that in my marriage. Yeah. Partly because Kurt wouldn't, like, he would not respond to that. <laughs> he like, would not play along. <laughs> he would not play along. And also, like, I just, after having kids, like, I feel like, I learned more about communication and I just yeah. I try not to ask questions if I'm not ready to hear all the answers. So like, I don't, I don't, I really make an effort not to ask questions that are like games. I, I don't play that kind of game. You know, like I don't ask a kid, like, do you want to do blah? If the, if I'm not okay with them saying no, sure, do you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. So this is just more of me getting like super annoyed with Celine. Although I love this walk. Like I, I think that their, their chemistry is like so strong still and they, mm -hmm. they still like each other, even though she's like 
at this point, just irritating me with everything she says, <laughs> like after the dinner party and then to the testing questions, I'm just like, I could not have a conversation with this woman. I would just like rip my hair out. <laughs> I, I see. I totally like when, when she's the next thing she says though, she says like, um, you, she, you wouldn't get off the train with me because I'm just, she quote a fat ass middle-aged mom losing her hair. And I'm like, my heart breaks because for her, cause I'm like, that's how she feels about herself. And, and when you've been, especially, I think when you've been really beautiful in your youth and you come to like middle age and you start losing some mm-hmm. of those traits and you start getting treated like non-beautiful women get treated, because there's mm. a difference. <laughs> there's mm-hmm. definitely a difference. I've I was an ugly or perceived as ugly teenager. Then I was a really beautiful younger person, and now I'm becoming middle aged. Mm-hmm. I have felt the difference in all those treatments, and mm. it can feel really insecure. And you can be like, well, who is going to want to stay with me? Like, like especially if you suspect your husband of infidelity, right? Like, mm-hmm. and he's already left one wife. Like, I mm. feel for her. Like, I know why she's playing the game. She shouldn't do it, but I I can feel it. Mm. Yeah, I, I I feel like, well, I'm comforted, like, that my husband and I, we both feel this middle age, like, look in the mirror and like, we're, we're not at our prettiest right now. But, um, but I like that we're, we're not pretty together. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. but we joke, you know, I mean, we're so we, we just drive each other crazy. It's like, you, you, you don't think, look at how old I look right now. Like, look at this. Is this what you want? And like, and the other person's like, I do not look at you, you know, and, and like want to throw up or anything, but it's our own insecurity. Like he'll give it to me all the time. He's like, yep, this is what you married this, you know, <laughs> balding fat guy. And I'm like, would you, I, I know I loved what I married and even still, honey, but it's yeah. such a, I really, we are in the thick of it. I'm reading all the books on middle age right now, like women in their forties, specifically Gen X, you know, youth to now. And it's, I've kind of came to that. Yeah. With my therapist, I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> and very much this middle age insecure, what's happening in life in the middle of it. I want to be over it already. I want to be like on I'm the not other end of it. Because then I'll be even older and I'm yeah, like, <laughs> I just feel like I'll be so chill. Like I envision, like I know that this will pass. And then the other side of it, uh, it will yeah. be like, yeah, mentally, men- mental chillness. But like, yeah, I'm going to try to aspire to have the mental chillness now. And like, because like, like, then it, when I get older, we'll have health problems to worry about instead of how we look. So, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, good. Well, point. maybe, maybe health problem. Some to- people are lucky. Today, I did have a realization. I remember, you know, those years before I got married, like wanting to be married so badly. I'm like, when will my love appear? And just like the agony and the angst. And then when it happened, I'm like, oh, there you go. Like, I wished I just lived and yeah. enjoyed myself. And I'm like, ah, so if that's what needs to happen right now, just live. Just don't worry about the other side. It'll be there. And you'll be like, ah, boy, that didn't take long at all. You know? <laughs> Yeah. So we have figured out life and love just, here just today. Right now. Right now. <laughs> Every um, rom com people. Once again. Yes. So so on their little, let's see, there's one site that they visit, but we haven't been able to determine like quite w- w- exactly what it is. I did find a blog. They go to this little Byzantine chapel and I found a blog. Yeah. I'll put a link to it in the show notes 
that says this chapel is on the outskirts of the village of Plaza, south of Cardamili. It dates from 1412, and it is dedicated to St. Paraskevi, saint of eye problems, which they call it in the movie like Saint Odilla or something, but like mm, similarly oh, yeah. about eye things. And like, I just, it's a cool little chapel. You could probably hunt it down. This blog has some information if you wanted to see it. And in the chapel, I thought it was interesting. You find out they're not actually married. Like yeah. they're, making, they're making allusion to how their girls asked about their wedding again. And then, and like, cause they, it's really important to the girls that they're married. And then they're like, yeah, like the way they talk about it, you get the idea that they're not married at all. And like yeah. the, the, Celine's not interested in doing that whole thing. What else would you guys like to talk about? Um, I like this walk as well. I do think that they're sweet and fun and they like bump into each other and they hold hands a little bit and yeah. Um, they have close body language, like yeah. Jesse, mm-hmm. yeah, Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy talked about that on the commentary. How they had to have like cultivate really informal but like close and intimate body language, like occasionally grabbing her butt or something or her breast, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and I didn't even notice it, but it's totally there. Oh, I noticed it. I I feel like I don't feel like you see that all the time. Like maybe because he's too much, you know, such a horny teenage American boy or whatever but like I don't I just feel like their chemistry is so palpable and so special yeah and they have laughs that makes me yeah they have laughs yeah and even even when even when they're like veering into some of these hard places like it it still doesn't seem it still doesn't seem like they're fighting it seems like they're still like I don't know. There's like a fight under the surface that feels kind of real, but they're not like going down the bad, you know, they're not like going down the, the hole of like out and out fighting yet. Yeah. Yet. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So so another thing that's important, I think is Celine asks another kind of tricky question. She says, what about me? Would you like to change? And Jesse calls it a can't win question. And it completely they talk about the same question and before sunrise and Jesse tells Celine that he, well, girlfriend once asked him that and he answered it and then she broke up with him. So yeah. I was like, and, but he eventually answers, if I could change one thing about you, it would be for you to stop trying to change me. And uh, I thought that, and I thought that was good. I thought that was like, yeah, like I think it's, I think it's actually inevitable that partners will change each other a little bit, but you can't always be pushing at someone else to change. You have to accept certain things about their basic nature. I think. Yeah. And I think that that's like a brilliant diplomatic answer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Then they arrive eventually on this walk at the town. I think it's called Pylos. Does that sound right to you, Sophia? Sounds right. And, And they're walking towards like what appears to be a seaside restaurant, but you said it's actually a dock, like a, yeah, 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 somewhere in my research, it's a dock and they, they made it up to look like a restaurant, which I like. I think that's kind of fun. And then they watch the the sunset. I have a clip of this, but I don't think it's really necessary to play it actually. But they they sit and they're watching the sunset together. And Celine says like still there, still there, still there. And eventually she says gone. And I when I was rewatching the scene, I noticed that Jesse's like smiling when she's saying still there. And when she says gone and the sunset disappears, they both start to look sad. Like, yeah, like he gets this really worried face. Like, I'm like, whoa, foreshadowing, foreboding. And, you know, before Sunset was the title of the last movie, and now we're seeing 
after sunset. I, I got to yeah. feel like they saved the, the afters just on a subconscious level in case they make three more movies. Mm. Well, it's coming up. 2022 would be nine years well, from this yeah, one. They, they've so not like, said anything Ooh. immediate about making new ones, but I, I don't I think I, I would not be shocked if they made more, though. I wouldn't be. But yeah, sure. I mean, there's just so much more to say. Life, yeah. life every 10 years, you know, looks different. And it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, the kids will be bigger. Yeah. Ooh, empty nest altogether. Oh, I'm ready. Make it. <laughs> so, yeah, that scene was really, I thought that scene was cool, though, where the sun goes down. I think, um, and a sunset, like, like I put in the notes, it can, you can interpret a sunset a lot of different ways. Like symbolically, it could be romance, like because it's romantic to look at a sunset. It can be interpreted as an ending. It can be interpreted as death, mortality. Like there's so many like shades you can put on that that experience. Mm. And um, yeah, I, I liked it. I thought it was a really cool scene. And then they get to the hotel. Sophia, do you want to introduce where the hotel is in case our listeners want to go and have a, a major fight in a Greek resort town? <laughs> Holy smokes. Um, yeah, it's the Western Resort Costa uh, Navarino. And um, it is way swanky. I looked it up. We've got the link. And there's a golf course. So a king bed with a garden view is um, $365 per night. A family suite with a king bed. And then they do the roll away beds with just a garden view is five seventy eight a night like you know yeah I, I i like what celine says like well you, you know the notes here is that she first admires the hotel but then yeah, it's when like they first get there, yeah when they first get there and then she criticizes it like it's definitely doesn't feel like quaint greek village it's like this resort and that golf yeah. course i don't actually like <laughs> it bugs me i'm like the What's this golf course doing in the middle of? Yeah, we don't be, see it in the movie yeah. though. We don't see that. We part. don't. You don't see that. But looking on the website, it to me looks out yeah. of place. I don't. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I don't feel like you go to Greece for your your golf trip. You know? Yeah, I'm definitely more. <laughs> of the, I'm definitely more of the quaint hotel type of a person or Airbnb yeah. type of a person. Yeah. But, uh, every once in a while, you know, the big the fancy hotel could be fine. And then, um, I mean, especially if someone else is paying for it, it's a gift. Yeah, Why not? Right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So they get into the hotel room and like, at first they're just like, they're getting busy. Like Jesse's like on Celine, like they're going to have sex. Like we see nudity for the first time in the whole series. Like mm-hmm. you just see her kiss him, kissing her breast in the commentary. They were laughing so much about this. <laughs> They were clearly, it was clearly kind of awkward to film because like they'd known each other for so many years and like yeah. all of a sudden he's making out with her like that. And like, like, yeah. And um, yeah, they were giggling like little kids. Um, I thought it was interesting because like the first nudity you see in this series is when it's like no longer like urgent in a way or like super romantic. Like if you'd seen them like have sex at the end of Before Sunset, it would have been super hot. And now it just didn't like necessarily feel super hot. It just kind of felt like, okay, well, I'm glad they're having sex. <laughs> I don't know. Am I alone in this? I guess I just didn't really think about it. I was like, I don't, I don't well, know. Well, did you have any emotional reaction to it? Like, like, or like, a tr- like, like when I watch a hot sex scene in a movie where it's like the couple is just getting together or something, I'm like, yeah. 
Like I feel it. I'm like dirty dancing. I'm like, yeah. Like, uh-huh. and, and this I was kind of like, like, well, I'm happy for you. <laughs> like I, I was, I was like, I was like more turned on in Before Sunset watching them not have sex, right? Like right, I was just like, right, right, oh my right. God, yeah. so gonna fuck. I was just like sitting there like, these two people are so into each other. Oh my God, that's gonna be so yeah. hot. Like in my imagination and this movie, I'm like, well, I'm happy for you. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, right? That's, that's the whole idea. Here's a gift for you to be alone together because they don't get to be. And I don't, yeah. You're, well, you, I think yeah. you've hit it on the head, Jen. Perfect. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, the sex scene didn't feel like a like a hot sex scene. It just felt kind of like, yeah, like, you know, th- it's probably nice, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's like mm-hmm. the way that, like, passion can kind of change over time sometimes. Maybe mm-hmm. I, maybe there are some people who have been married for 20 years or 10 years who are just, like, still just, like, 100% as passionate as it was at first. But I don't know if I've met them. So uh, while they're making out, I did notice that Celine said the red in your beard is gone. Like, so yeah. she talked about that at sunset, like as one of the things she loved about him. But then mm-hmm. she says, now I see it, the red in the girl's hair. So it's like, mm-hmm. it's almost like the love, the fierce love for him is in symbolically being supplanted by the love for the girls. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. how I read it. I don't know. I, I, I definitely noticed that. I mean, having watched them all in pretty quick succession like that, I really noticed that. And I think you're right about your focus has to change, you know, when you have kids. I think yeah. it has to, at least temporarily. Yeah. And it, it just kind of does, like, as much as she is talks about, like, how hard this is and whatever, like, she also in the car turns around and takes a picture. Look how cute they are. Like, you're, it's such yeah. a, you know, yes, it's super hard, but, like, I, I adjust a adore my girl you know even when she gives me you know teenage attitude i also think it's hilarious and i'm like you're funny and you're fierce you know in my head but to her i'm like would you be nice to me stop talking to me like that you know but i don't know it's uh i call these the domestic years i think i started Mm -hmm. saying that like maybe four years ago when greg and i were still like gosh how you know we're trying to like i don't know figure it out and like why are things kind of hard right now and remember when we used to do it i'm like ah it's the domestic years i just want to like complicate it a little bit because i don't know if supplanting is the right word Mm -hmm. like i Mm -hmm. think that's the word jen used yeah yeah um because there there's a little bit of like a like a shift in your attention and like your your love has to like change and be shared right but Mm. there's also an element and i don't know if you feel this sophia i i try to like cultivate this where like i look at the kids and it's like these are creatures that we made together Mm. and -hmm. like i really try to appreciate that that they're Mm. not just like a you know a thing it's not just like a time to get through it's like it's a part of our love it's a part of our relationship like we made this thing yes these these creatures and like that i see that when she's talking about the red in their hair too Mm -hmm. yeah i think the Mm -hmm. only reason i use the word supplanted is because she said it's gone and like combined with the other like foreboding thing like the sunset being gone like Mm -hmm. it kind of struck it struck me that way but yeah i totally see what you're saying yeah and i hope that it's not gone (laughs) like i hope it hasn't been supplanted entirely so doesn't he say that they're just white now yeah, they're just yeah. white now. Yeah. 
So then they're um they're getting busy. They're about to have sex probably, but then the cell phone rings and I think if Celine hadn't answered the cell phone, they probably would have been okay. Maybe they still would have had their fight. It would have been a different time. Um, mm-hmm. I just thought it was like small things can kind of upset the balance of your night or relationship. Like one thing can go wrong and it's like, ah, like, and especially I think cell phones have the potential to do that. But um, yeah, I just, I, I noted that. And the fight starts over like, kind like, like there's all this deep stuff that we already know about that they have to fight about, but it kind of starts just like on an offhand thing. Like on the one hand, Jesse gets upset because Celine's talking to Hank and he doesn't, she doesn't hand the phone to him. And on the other hand, she gets upset or he gets upset because she says, good luck with your mom, which, you know, he reads as a disparaging comment towards the kid's mom. Mm-hmm. And though out of those two things, the entire night of fighting is born. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. but it's never, a lot of times it's just, well, it's not never, but a lot of times it's not really about the things that start the fight. It's about the other things that people haven't talked through, which I thought mm-hmm. was so true also about this fight scene. And I just want to appreciate other things about it. The fight is very like, like organic, like there are lulls in the fight when, and then it breaks out again. Like um, obviously there's layers to the fight. There's, there's the real problem that they're t- really talking about. And then all the other problems that get brought in, like, which is mm. one thing that you're not supposed to do in fights. You're supposed to not like try to bring up everything that ever happened in the past. And um, well, another thing I really liked that rang true for me was like putting on or taking off clothes at different times signifies whether they're feeling close to each other or whether the fight's breaking out again. Anytime Lee and I fight, if, if I'm, if I had been naked or topless or whatever, I put my shirt on mm-hmm. every, every single time. Like I can't feel like oh. I don't feel comfortable fighting topless for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> so when Celine put her dress back on, I'm like, yeah, I feel that. So what do you guys think about this, the fight scene? Are there things uh, that ring true for you or things that ring false or like, you know, the first time I saw it, I felt like, I felt some of it felt contrived, like uh, maybe a little expeditionist, like explaining like they were in New York, but then she wanted to come back to Paris because the co- pregnancy was complicated, blah, blah. And I don't know. I just felt like. The exposition too much. Yeah. Yeah. This time it, this time I didn't. Um, but I also, um, this is, this was the part I, I don't know. I don't know. Did I dread this part? I think I dreaded more the building up to this. Once it got here, I was like, what? Like I was kind of out of it. I took myself out of it. Oh a man. Bit, I think. Mm. The first, like the first time I saw it, it really like, felt bad to me to watch it. But now when I watched it, I put this fight in the context of like fights I've had. Right. And I've had fights that maybe weren't quite this bad, but, but well, in my first marriage, I definitely had a fight that was this bad, but, um, but just like I've had fights with Lee that are pretty bad in the past, Mm -hmm. but like, but, and if you had only filmed like that afternoon, that day, you might think, Oh, they have a terrible marriage. But then I thought Mm -hmm. about, but what was the day before that? Like, and what was the day after that? Like, you know, those were fine days. And what had been most of the days, also good days like right Mm -hmm. like so i think like if they were fighting all the time it would be you know oh maybe you should get a divorce but like for all we know this is just a snapshot of like one really high pressure day where where he's had to say goodbye to hank and there and oh i totally feel what she says celine says at one point like how much pressure there is to have a special night like and do this special Uh thing oh my god Uh i feel that 
almost yeah, like yeah. on holidays, I often have little mini breakdowns because I'm like, we have to do this perfectly. We have to like plan it. So it's going to be great or something. And Lee uh-huh. knows that this is coming now. Lee, like, and <laughs> Lee, 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 Lee knows me well enough to know that this might happen. So we try to like do less pressure things now. Yeah. 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 That is absolutely true. It's like, okay, have fun. And right. He's sad and she's freaking out about her job stuff like that. That is a lot of pressure and that's really hard. And maybe it, what you need is just to like lay in bed and like cuddle, you know, like, yeah, that's really valuable and just kind of see each other a little bit, like do some of the listening that they haven't been doing. Um, yeah. And not feel like you have to fit into this like wine drinking couples massage environment. Like this. Yeah. 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 Especially on such a, especially on such a hard day. Yeah. But like, what do you think about when she leaves and comes back and says, I don't think I love you anymore. I've said it before. I've said it before. You have, see that like, I do not say that kind of thing to people that I love. You know, like, I, w- to- I wish I could say that I hadn't, but I've said that and I've said we should get divorced and I, you know, I've done it. Yeah. Wow. And, and I'm, cause I'm, but I'm a much more like, like you said, you don't really like conflict that much. Right. And like, um, you like to argue so much. My, I grew up in a family where like my mom said things like that to me and like, she was very, wow. she would get very angry She'd say, I wish I'd never had children. She'd say like all that kind of stuff. But she also really loved me very fiercely and was very affectionate to her, to me. So like, I'm sure it's wounded me on some level, but at the same time, I got to realize that like people aren't always saying something that they mean, you know, people, when people are angry, they will sometimes say things that are out of line. And I try not to do that with Lee because he's much more like conflict. He doesn't like conflict. And I think he takes it much harder, but like, at certain emotional extremes, yeah, I've said terrible things. And wow. I, I'm more conscious of it now than I was like, you know, 10 years ago. But like, yeah, I think the last time we had a fight that was like truly epic was probably when we were in Paris, too. And I remember the trip to Paris is like totally great. Like, I don't even remember the fight. Like, Lee tells me this, too. Like, you never remember these fights. And I'm like, yeah, I don't. Like, I just remember we had a great time. <laughs> we had a big fight when we went to Japan, too. And I don't remember that one either. I don't remember what we fought about. I'm sure it was bad. But it was like, it's always like one afternoon of a vacation that's otherwise great. Like, uh-huh. and it's a lot of times under these high pressure situations. You're probably tired, a little jet lag. Well, I know. I'm mean, angry. No, it's not, no, yeah, it's not that. Know. It's none. Of, it's none of that. It's like I think it's just like sometimes you you're going through all these changes and like you're in this new environment and I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I will yeah. say that I understand what Celine did. I understand how that happens. Like I think mm. like I needed the tools of the nonviolent communication and the CBT to get over some of those things. And I think the majority of people, I don't know, I could be wrong, but I think the majority of people have said things they don't mean in a fight and probably oh, would benefit from sure. tools. I, yeah. It's not to say that I don't ever say things that I don't mean. And I am certainly like mean on purpose sometimes. I just, I guess I feel like they're like the lines of like, like I've only said, I don't love you if I mean it. And I've only said, let's get divorced if I really wanted to. <laughs> yeah. I've said, um, like I don't like I don't like you right now or I don't like us right now. I've said I don't like this family right now. Um but you know, early on with when Greg and I would fight and and when we would want to 
kind of reconciled. She's like, are, are, are you, I, I want to be friends with you, you know? And that really meant a lot to us. Like, I still want to be friends with you. Like, I, mm. I think once we realize, you know, that we, that we genuinely like each other, you know, and, and yeah. I, I care about you. And if we can't be friends, then I don't want to be people who just are like, uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that is, but somehow that, that, flips a light switch for us if we're still friends or do you still yeah. want to be my friend <laughs> do you still want to be my friend yeah i still want to be your friend i, I wonder how friend. much of it is like because of the partner that you're fighting with you know because i think part of the reason that i have hard lines about that kind of stuff is because like kurt would not like he would never ever say that kind of thing to me like I, even though i don't well, say those Lee things would never say that thing to me either okay. he has never okay. said anything like that to me yeah. yeah okay so maybe yeah but i think i've learned i think i've learned better fighting skills from kurt because he just like does not lose his temper and he does not say things he doesn't mean okay like, but at the, at the same time though like i i don't think lee has better fighting skills than me i just think he avoids mm. having fights like and then, mm. like maybe maybe uh kurt has better fighting skills but for lee it's like he just doesn't want to have conflict and he grew up in a house where mm. which was conflict avoidant and i grew up in a house which was like let's just say all this crazy shit and then we'll hug each other and it'll be better <laughs> Like, mm. so those are two opposite like camps that we come from and we've had to try to find negotiate a place in the middle where we can have conflict and but it doesn't necessarily go nuclear yeah yeah i don't know and jesse and celine seem like they're both almost in a game to me like they mm. like the way they the way they they are fighting feels like they both are sending barbs at each other they're both like uh kind of mocking each other at different times. Yeah. They both go places that maybe you shouldn't go. Like, like Jesse, like is like Celine is not the only one out of line here. Like Jesse's like doing that thing where he like does the semantics when she's having a serious feeling. He does the mm -hmm. thing like he's playing a tiny violin when she's talking about pretty legitimate grievances about how yeah. women are treated in society. Um, yeah. Or like her problems with like taking care of the kids and the housework. Like, so I don't think this is all on Celine either. Like, you know, what's no, interesting. No. Richard Linklater said that they had deliberately tried to write this so that you wouldn't side with one or the other, but most people still end up siding with one or the other of them, like, or generally, or more generally sympathizing with one or the other of them. Like, so saying, who do you sympathize with? I do. I'm more both of them. Actually. I do feel like I'm, I'm the audience that Linklater was looking for. Cause like, um, I see them both doing shitty things to each other. Um, I see both of their points of view about what, how they want to live their life. Um, I think if I came down, I think they should stay in Paris because I think when she breaks down, like how much they'd actually see Hank, it would be almost nothing. And like, you know, I, I, so, and I yeah. feel like it's unfair to ask her to like, give up a career where she can only do in one place while he can do his career anywhere. So I guess mm. like in that sense, mm -hmm. I would side with Celine in what her desire for their life together, but I totally sympathize with Jesse in other ways. Like I do. Yeah. I don't know. Do you guys have one that you sympathize more with or things that you see about each of their case or styles? What do you think, Sophia? I, I think I'm with Jen on it. Like I, I can see where they're both being assholes and where they're both like, le like have legit concerns. And I, I feel badly for them in this spot that they're in right now. But yeah. um, they got they got some choices to make. Which you I know, just like, yeah, 
I just, I'm so frustrated with how they talked about the move to Chicago thing because they totally could have just talked about that so much better. You know, yeah. like it just, ah, I just, ah. Um, yeah. I, I, I couldn't help but think about which one of them I would rather fight with, you know? <laughs> and I just like, I would just, I just totally would rather fight with Jesse. But I, but I, I mean, I hear you. Like they're both doing, doing bad things like in this fight they're neither of them are communicating well they're both making all kinds of mistakes but yeah i would rather fight with neither of them i would rather like that's deal with, yeah i would rather be with each of them and then try to use my best skills with them I'm yes like- okay that's a better choice <laughs> <laughs> because i think that this conversation is like these conversations can be had Right. Like when when I say that I don't like conflict, it's not that I just like won't talk about the things that yeah. bother me. Yeah. I just think there's better ways to do them than like screaming sure. that you don't love someone. Okay. You yeah, know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Like. <laughs> so just like some of the things they fight about, they fight about obviously the central thing about whether they're going to move to Chicago. But that turns into like a whole thing about like Celine talking about how women end up wanting to be the nurturer and like they can't help but want to like do what what. Jesse wants and move to Chicago and be with Henry. It makes her mm. feel so bad. Totally identified with that. I think women are totally socialized to like try to put their needs second. Um, and then also like she talks, she says that her fear is that every man wants to turn her into a submissive housewife. And I haven't had that particular fear. Like, but I can like, when I first got married to my first husband, I, there was definitely this moment where I felt like I had to be all these different things. Like I had to start mm. acting a certain way, like more like a housewife, more like a good wife. And there's, there's a lot of societal baggage that's mm. gets put on women mm-hmm. in that role. And Celine's talking about all this stuff. And I really feel that that's a point where Jesse was dismissive of her a little bit. Yeah. It's, this is a tough one because like, like there is like, in my opinion, I think there's a little bit of like having to surrender to how things change when you have kids in a family mm-hmm. like and and fighting it doesn't really solve the problem like it's it's more of a matter of like not fighting the fact that your life has changed now and you know suddenly you have all these people that you have to like like i i think about like this is a source of conflict in my marriage right is like that i'm thinking about everybody's life all the time and like sometimes i feel like kurt can just like pick up and do whatever he wants and and does not carry everyone else's life and schedule in his mind in the way yeah. that I do. Yeah. Um, and that is pretty frustrating, but like the problem isn't him, right? Like the problem is, isn't me. It's like, I just, that just means that I have to be, I just have to know what my needs are and I just have to like, make sure that I have to agitate for them. Right. But I think I think there can be like a certain responsibility that guys can take on more too, though, where they are be more proactive about, you know, thinking about those things too. Like as Celine's like, what's the name of their pediatrician? Like, it's good if a guy mm-hmm. knows these things. It's good if a guy like takes sure. proactive steps to do that. I think our society doesn't necessarily reward that or encourage that. But yeah. I just want to then give props to my husband who has taken our daughter and her friend to the park this whole time. And the girls are being so sweet. They want to jump on the trampolines two stories up, but you can hear it. So they're waiting patiently for me and my (laughs) fun pursuit of this podcast. So there you go. 
Yeah, same they come here. Through. Kurt, they Kurt come is outside through. with the kids, feeding them lunch. You know, yep. he's a great he's a great dad. I don't need him to know the name of the kids' pediatrician. You know, and but, I, like I don't need him to have that does. in his mind. But Celine has different needs, and like I'm, I'm kind of yeah. willing to like believe that there's things Jesse has dropped the ball on. Like I am, like sure, I, I, I okay. can see him being a guy who might drop the ball on some things. Like <laughs> I, I can see that if Jesse is as well. Um, but like if you have agreements and you know somebody, to, Greg pays all the bills. He deals with all the money. If I'm the one that's got to call for doctors and dentists appointment, that's fine. Do you know what I'm saying? Like he handles that stress. I handle other stress. So there's a division of, I think we're, we're good about that division of labor and, you know, time and, you know, giving each other space, that kind of thing, family coming together and do what you got to do on your own as well. The society piece, like that pressure Mm. is much harder for me to negotiate than like Kurt himself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like sometimes I'll just be like, well, I'm just a failure at life because I didn't do as much laundry today. It's like, just come on, get over it. Think of all the things that you did do that are important to you. You know, like, is it really important to you or your family that this clean laundry is in the drawer? Like, no. (laughs) Right? Like... (laughs) At a certain point, it might become important, but yeah, like we would have to. Right. But like in in a given day, yeah. where it's like I yeah, did yeah. a lot of work, or I did a podcast, or I did some writing, it's like I made those choices, and like it, the pressure is only from outside of my family. It's only the pressure of like being, yeah. you know, Donna a Reed. good housewife, right? To mm-hmm. get all all the chores done as well as everything else, you know. Yeah. And then um, infidelity comes up um, in the end. And to and another thing to be fair to Celine, um, so Celine only says, I don't think I love you anymore. Like after like she, they're talking about his possible infidelity. So that's another mm. piece. Like that's very important to some people. Like, and um, she's like, swear on our kids. Like, where is this? I'm trying to find the exact quote. Yeah, swear on our kids. You didn't fuck that lady from the bookstore, Emily. And he doesn't deny it at all. He says, I'm giving you my whole life, okay? I got nothing larger to give. I love you, and I'm not in conflict about it. I don't want to live a boring life where two people own each other. So he pretty much fucked the girl from the bookstore, I'm pretty sure. But like, did that's she basically blow saying, that one guy at the conference, though? She well, no, I don't. Uh, the conference thing, I don't think. I don't think she did. Like, that's or mentioned earlier in the movie. I don't think she did anything to any guy at the conference. It's fight. But, no, no. Is in he? this fight, it's the boyfriend. There's an ex-boyfriend. That oh, an ex-boyfriend. There were two, there an were two okay. potential yeah, blowjobs. But one of them was like for a socialist world leader, and I'm, I don't think that happened. Oh, so. oh. oh <laughs> and then this one is like some ex-boyfriend, and she doesn't deny that either. But yeah. like, she's also not asked quite as pointedly, and he still hasn't said shit about whether he had sex with someone. And to me, like, I think the thing that bothers her about this girl is not so much that he had sex with this girl. It's that she seems like one of those bimbo types, you know, that she was talking mm. about. Like, you write books? Like, one of those admiring fan mm. type people. Because like, that would totally make a difference to me. Like, seriously. <laughs> like, like if, I, if I'm with a guy, and even if we have an agreement, you can sleep with whoever, like, right? Like, I would still be more bothered if they slept with someone that I considered to be like, kind of like lame and like, like, oh, you like this girl because she's like dumb or like worships you or something. I'd be like, right. come, on, uh, come on. That for me, that yeah. was just like, do you not have any taste? Like, basically. <laughs> But I think Celine would be, I feel like Celine would be like that. I feel like Celine would be like, come on, seriously? Like, like, I don't know. 
Like, maybe not, but... So, we're all pretty much in agreement, though, that he definitely slept with this girl. I mean, I probably. Probably. Well, we probably. But, I can, but I can also see, like, this... If it's so ridiculous, I wouldn't want to answer... Like, really? I, I would get... I Yeah, I don't know. Who knows how many times it's come up? I don't... Mm-hmm. If you answer that kind of like serious question, like I swear on the girls, then like is she even gonna believe mm. him? Like I don't know. Mm. I would just say no, I didn't. If I didn't sleep with this person, I'd be like, no, I didn't. Like, Maybe he's already said that like twenty five times. And I was, you know, twenty sixth right. time. I don't know. I would mm. say like I don't see. Any- I mean, I'm not. I, probably he did. Like I'm not. I don't know. I don't think I actually believe that. But you know. Yeah. I think it's it's interesting the callback when he's talking about I don't want to live a boring life where two people own each other like the callback to that other couple who was talking about colonizing each other. Oh yeah, but the, I don't hmm. necessarily think they've been faithful to each other either. <laughs> that other middle aged couple. Oh yeah, I, Did, I, I didn't really think about it. I feel like Stephanos has probably cheated on Ariadne, or like maybe they have an agreement. I don't fucking know, but yeah, yeah. But I I do that is kind of a callback though. Colonize each other, own each other, yeah. Like, I mean, I think that's a common thing, though, for people who are polyamorous, though, to just be like, like, the fidelity is not important, necessarily. Commitment is what is important. And that's kind of what Jesse's expressing. He's like, look, like, like, he doesn't say I wasn't faithful, but he's like, kind of being like, I may not be faithful, but I am 100% committed to you. Like, he's trying Mm -hmm. to reassert his commitment, and like the importance of that. And I think he needs to deal with the other piece. <laughs> um, you can't just like, just, I don't think he needs to answer her. They don't, that's, it doesn't seem like they have an agreement so much as a look the other way, which is not the mm. same thing. When I was younger, I used to think that like infidelity would be just like a deal breaker, like period, the end. And I don't feel that way anymore. Yeah. Like not, not that it has happened. I, I feel pretty confident that it hasn't. And I don't really think that it will, but like, it is it, it's not like the absolute be, the absolute that it used to be probably because like there's other things to value right the yeah. commitment piece the everything that's been built you know it seems like a it seems like a much smaller thing to throw away a whole relationship based on than it used to to me yeah to me it's like one part of a relationship like in one part of a vow to somebody but there's so many other parts of the vow that like you know better or worse sickness and health rich or poor like taking care of each other being there every day like that kind of thing yeah yeah anyway but there, like, for a lot of people, it's still a deal breaker, though. And jealousy is very painful. And Celine says she's not jealous, which is another reason I think it's just because of what kind of girl it is. <laughs> mm. <laughs> anyway, but maybe she oh, is jealous. Oh, that makes sense. Celine doesn't always say what she means either. So we can't always count on her that way. So we've already kind of talked about what you would consider, like, that this is a bad fight or what you would consider too far in a fight. Any more to say about that from anyone? Like... I really appreciate your perspective, like that it's, you know, you've had fights where it's just one bad day and yeah. and everything around it would, would be, you know, would, would really change the, the nature of that fight and its importance. And like, this is just like, this is the movie. So it feels really big, but maybe right. ultimately it's not, you know. And what's interesting is they almost thought of ending the movie just where one of them walks out and leaves the other one alone. So potentially this movie could have ended with Celine walking out the door like she does and Jesse sitting there at the table looking at the teacup with the sad music. Like that was a potential oh. ending, but they oh. thought it was too black and white. They thought it made it just sound definite that they weren't going to be together or something. Huh. And so yeah. they added, so they instead had the other film, the scene, which we're going to get to now, which um, 
Jesse goes to find Celine out on the, the same jetty, the same dock where they'd watch the sunset. And, um, and this is Jesse decides to basically surrender in a sense and like approach her with humor and approach her with like, you know, an overture of seduction. He goes up to her pretending at first that he's a stranger picking her up, but then that's not working. So then he says they've met before and he's come from the future with a time machine and a letter from her like 82 year old self. And it's like, it's they've done this kind of thing before where they do like a little acting gig like thing to get closer to each other, like the telephone game and sunrise. Like it's another like gimmick sort of mm, essentially. Yeah. Jesse says, I've already lived through this night. I'm here to save you from being blinded by all the little bullshit of life. And um, she says, it's not bullshit. And so it's not, she's not going to be won over by this right away. But um, yeah, I, I, I like that they added the scene. I would have hated it if they ended it like with her just walking out. Yeah, Yeah. that would have been been completely, completely different. Because I think that this scene, you know, plus their walk gives me the hope for them. Like their their problems are not small. You know, they're going to have to do a lot of work. But like this scene makes me think that they can. Yeah. Yeah. And if they had just ended it on one of them leaving, that would have definitely felt, you know, more hopeless to me. Yeah. So he's reading her this like fake letter from her older self and like um, it's not particularly working and she's still not being like seduced by it. But I'm going to play a little clip of just like how the movie ends and then we can discuss that if that's okay. Okay, Jesse, can you stop this stupid game? We're not in one of your stories. Okay. Did you hear what I said to you back in the room? Did you hear me? Yes. I heard you. Not whether you don't love me anymore. I figured you didn't mean it, but if you did, then... uh, Oh, fuck it. And uh, you know something? You're just like the little girls and everybody else. You want to live inside some fairy tale, all right? I'm just trying to make things better here. All right, I tell you that I love you unconditionally. I tell you that you're beautiful. I tell you that your ass looks great when you're 80. I'm trying to make you laugh. Okay. I put up with plenty of your shit. And if you think I'm just some dog who's going to keep coming back, then you're wrong. But if you want true love, uh, then this is it. This is real life. It's not perfect, but it's real. And if you can't see it, then you're blind. All right, if I give up. I think this is the part where they just don't talk for like a considerable amount of time. Mm hmm. And Richard Linklater says it reminds him of the scene in the listening booth because they're both kind of looking at each other a little bit. Very oh, different scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're waiting for Celine. <sighs> so what about this time machine? to operate it? I mean... Uh, yeah, 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 that's actually, it's been a real issue, you know? I mean, I don't, it, it closed just, they don't travel well through the whole space-time continuum. It's, 
He's so smart. <laughs> Space time. Continuum. Continuum. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's something that I've been thinking about about your letter. Yeah. You know, you have uh, you mentioned the Southern Peloponnese. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, we're in the Southern Peloponnese. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and do you think it could be tonight that you're still talking about in your eighties? Well, it must have been one hell of a night we're about to have. That's the end. We all keep, we keep playing the end of the movie in these shows. So that's the end of the movie. Uh, I mean, I definitely I'm glad that they ended it this way. Even the music feels like there's some hope. Yeah. That they're not hopeful. done. Yeah. You know? I like how um, um, in the commentary, Julie Delpy said she lets him win a little bit so she can win the big fight. So she's doing the bimbo voice and like, giving in and just deciding to like go back to the room and have sex presumably but she knows she's gonna get what she wants in the end (laughs) i think this ending gives me hope that they can work stuff out right Mm -hmm. like i think that they have a lot that's good you know yeah um even if they have these problems that are big and you guys agree like with jesse this is if you want true love then this is it I mean, I guess so. It's not perfect. Yeah, he says it's um, not perfect. Yeah, it's not perfect. <laughs> whatever, whatever perfect is supposed to be, or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is. I mean, I think it's close to true. Yeah. I think there's some, some yeah. things that need to be sanded. That's it. A little bit. They gotta. They gotta. They gotta get that diamond out of the rough. Really. They gotta. Like, and I yeah. guess that's the choice, right? I mean, Celine's like, this is the beginning of the end. This is how you break up. Well. Do you want it to go that way or do you want, you know, make your choice? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, that because if you could feel like you can see that coming, it, it doesn't decide if you want it to be that way or not. I don't know. And I, and I don't necessarily, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. I don't necessarily think every relationship needs to be saved. Like, obviously, he could still be with his other wife that he married with Hank, right? And like, like if we, if we want to say that you're always going to like go after it, but they never had that thing to begin they with. They never, they, right. yeah, that was, yeah. that one was an accident. <laughs> <laughs> that one was that an was, accident. I'll tell Hank, a- I'll tell Hank all about it. So- <laughs> no. And Hank knows it too, though. He knew like, they went yeah. to, that was, yeah. But right, I think so- for Jesse and Celine, right? They have a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But I think I think on. you're right that she's gotta like that it, like she's the one that's gotta make that choice, right? Like she's the one mm-hmm. that's seeing the end. She's the one that's predicting the doom. And like I maybe she'll get there. I hope she'll get there. But it does seem to be somewhat in her mind, in her hands, that that choice is needing to be made. Well like for for all the badness of his fighting, like he's been saying the same thing. Like, this is yeah. what it is. I'm committed to you. This is it. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll marry you right now. Like, yeah. there's ways though that he could definitely be communicating so as to express that on an emotional level and not just like a thought level. I think like when he says like, ideally I'd like to be closer to Hank as a family, like that would kind of freak me out if somebody said that to me, um, maybe he didn't mean it that way, but just like there's moments where he had a chance to reassure her that he didn't really take, I think. So yeah. Oh yeah. I, I'm not saying he's a great communicator yeah. either. 
Yeah. I just I do think that the that the question mark about like okay. whether they're going to be together might be hers. Okay. Yeah, and all the creators like of the film, like in the commentary, I think it was actually in the after before documentary, they all said that they they see a lot of good in Jesse and Celine too, and they see potential for them to stay together. But they would not be they were very noncommittal though as to whether they would mm-hmm. be together or whether there will be more movies. So we'll just have to wait on that front. Mm. Um, so really quick, because it's the travel series, we'll do this really quickly. Um, other yeah. places to visit in the southern Peloponnese. So there was a theater mentioned by the character Anna that she had been in a theater production in. Um, it's a real theater. I, it's variously spelled as like Epidaurus or Epidavros. I've seen it spelled. Um, I'll put a link to the actual theater. It's an ancient theater built in the fourth century BC with excellent acoustics. So you can like in the movie, it's mentioned you, she could hear him whispering to her like from Mm -hmm. the stage, even though it's like a 12,000 seat auditorium or amphitheater. And I would love to visit that place. That would be amazing. Um, They still have a theater festival that happens there, which has been somewhat modified by COVID, but it's happening this year, June, July, and August. So that's a thing people can do. Um, I also looked at Rick Steves has some stuff about the Southern Southern Peloponnese. He recommends the Mani Peninsula in general, um, where Ariadne in the movie is apparently from. He says it is empty and wild, like a landscape in a Hollywood Western. Once struggling with pirates and brigands, today the Mani is peaceful land of rustic villages and untrammeled beaches. Many Mani towns feature sumptuous old fresco slathered churches, pockets of brightness in this otherwise parched land. So that sounds pretty romantic. Mm-hmm. And he also recommends this um, medieval town, which I cannot pronounce well, Monimvasia. I'm doing my best here. Um, it's That's a medieval really town. <laughs> I'm guessing. <laughs> it's a medieval town built onto a rock island, and it's now a peninsula, which is connected to the mainland. And it looks really cool. Like There's a museum you can visit, it, beaches, restaurants, a fortress, a cave, all kinds of cool stuff. And yeah, and Sophia, you said that Julie Delpy apparently was not thrilled to film in Greece. Yeah, some of the commentary in the DVD, she's, I guess, was there for another thing. And it was not so great in Athens. Um, And she remembers she was like, oh, God, it's going to be so hot. But despite all that, she fell in love with it during filming. And I thought that was kind of funny and, and wonderful that she wound up loving it. I have one more really quick question about the movie and then we'll move on to double feature recommendations. Okay. So just like if there were to be another movie or series, what would you envision that being about? Well, I was, I was talking to Chris about this movie the other day and we were talking about how like there's the couple arguing on the train in the first movie. And this is like the, the Jesse and Celine arguing movie, right? (laughs) Like they're that Mm middle-aged couple, but he pointed out that there's also the couple in in Sunset who are like having the dinner party and like hosting, right? Like Julie Delpy's parents. Mm. And so his idea was that like th- that phase of their life would be the next movie where they're mm. where they're they've worked it out, they're together, they're like hosting mm. the party and that version of middle-aged love. Sophie, any ideas for you, Sophia? Uh, I mean, I guess my mind through the whole series is that yes, of course they get together. Yes, of course they get together. And so, I mean, my hope is that they have stayed together. Um, what that looks like, I, I'm not sure. I haven't thought that far. Because um, I, I really I just have no idea what they would do. I like to envision another travel movie, and they're traveling maybe somebody somewhere else in Europe. But one of them, 
I think Jesse is dealing with like a terminal illness or potentially terminal illness. Like maybe we, cause like there needs to be an open-ended thing to it. Like maybe it's something that could kill him, but maybe he'll survive, but they're taking this trip together, you know, like Ah. just in case that, I think that would be interesting Mm. because you'd be dealing with mortality and sickness and like different problems. Like they haven't dealt with before. Wow. That has a lot of like heartbreaking potential. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Rip my heart out. But he might live. I'm already sad. I know. But he might live. We don't know. So like, like, oh, you could do three of them too. And the first one, he could be like sick, but he may or may not live from this cancer or whatever. They're on the trip. Uh And then there's another one, um, maybe dealing with their children in some way. And he survived. But then and there's a third one where he's died from the cancer that he originally survived and and Celine's at a funeral or something. Oh, my God. Okay. Sorry. Oh, Jeez, I don't want to watch these. I don't because it's it's too much like life right now. When when I first saw the first two, it was like oh, potential and oh glory, and that's why I think I still love them because it was you know that time. Now I'm like that's that's the daily life, and I don't, <laughs> right, I'm not going right. to the movies for my daily life. I'm going all to right. get out of. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I'd watch them. I'd write them if I could, if I were, if I were a part of their little group. Yeah. Anyway. And, um, I just wanted to give a shout out to the Criterion collection, which I watched, um, all the, all the movies on them. It was a great uh, addition. You can get all three movies together in a set and the, the movies look great. They sound great. There's a lot of interviews and documentaries and commentaries. There's only commentary for before midnight, but there's a lot of documentaries and interviews for the others. And like, there's so much on these discs on these Blu-rays that I've not even watched all of it yet. So definitely recommend, especially the little documentary after before is available on before midnight and by one of the actors in the film and Rachel, I can't remember her whole name right now. So I won't go into there, but yeah, definitely worth it. Okay. And um, let's, I guess we'll get into our double feature recommendations. So um, my first recommendation is called Lolo. It is a romantic comedy directed by Julie Delpy and starring Julie Delpy and it's really fucking funny and it's in Fr- it's French French language movie and I, I loved it it was it was very light and fun but like I'm recommending it as a double feature partly because Julie Delpy created it but also partly because it deals with a woman in middle age and middle age uh. my second double my second double feature recommendation is The Countess which is nothing like this movie to be honest except that again Julie Delpy directed it and acted in it and it's about the historical figure Elizabeth Bathory who uh, was rumored to have bathed in the blood of virgins to keep herself young and I guess the reason again though this is again another middle-aged a woman and dealing with the insecurities of growing older and like looking like less beautiful as she perceives it and just dealing with like the way men treat women in society. So I think Delpy's work is great. People should just watch all of her stuff. And um, then Roberto Rossellini's journey to Italy is apparently a reference in the film. I have not seen the film, so I can't recommend it to you in terms of like, oh, this is a great movie, but like apparently it is one of the references for the film. And now I'm really curious to see it. It's about a couple having a severe breakdown of their relationship on a vacation. Hmm. Hmm. So I went mostly with like Greek themes, like places, films that have Greece in them. Uh, Mamma Mia. I've only seen the first one. I've not seen the second one, but that has some, uh, locations in greece uh sisterhood of the traveling pants they film on santorini it's beautiful uh captain corelli's mandolin um 
films on an island. And to truth be told, I really only love the first 20 minutes of that film. <laughs> I haven't um, seen it, so I don't know why uh, that would be. Well, well it's, it's before the war comes. After that, oh, it's all okay. like sadness and war and Even I don't know. But the begin- war. Yeah. <laughs> no, but in the beginning, like there's a scene, then there's a celebration, and they're doing some yeah, dancing, yeah. and I'm like, I love that. Um, Dude, I will but- watch the first half of Titanic, and I'll stop it when the, the they hit the iceberg. I'm not kidding. <laughs> like, so- there you go. See, I don't. That's what I'm talking about. Um, and then just in that vein of like what happens after happily ever after, um, watch Into the Woods for that kind of idea. You know, now that we've we know they've gotten together. What happens after? After. Mm. So I went with like a dysfunctional relationship breakdown of relationship theme here. Uh-huh. Um, the squid and the whale. If you want to see like, it's not a rom com at all. If but if you want to see like a real breakdown of a marriage and a divorce and the impact on kids, um, that's a real one. It's another one that like captures like some really painful realities on film, I think. And then I I've been hesitant to to like recommend this one, but Annie Hall has come to mind with all three of these movies. Huh. Just I guess because it's like a lot of talking about relationships or something. Mm-hmm. I, but yeah. this time I decided to just go for it. Um yeah. mm-hmm. so Man. Go for it. I recommend like because Woody Allen because I recommended Midnight in Paris last time. So like whatever. Like yeah, people don't have to watch the movies you recommend. It's true. They're they're under no obligation. And okay, (laughs) I said we weren't going to talk anymore about the phone, but I realized we never answered the question. Like, is this movie a romance? So like we don't have to go into depth on this, but is Before Midnight in your view a romance? Yes, I think with this ending, yeah. Yeah, and I will also say yes, and 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 maybe even if it does, if movies ha- do have a bad ending, maybe there's still a romance. Maybe we need to expand our horizons. I don't know, but not a rom com, not a rom com. If, if they, if no, one of them had just walked out of the hotel room, I would find it hard to call that a romance. Okay, more like a tragedy, mm. a drama. Yeah, yeah. There needs to be potential for happiness, I suppose. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Okay, there but I go. mean, Romeo and Juliet's a romance, and they're fucking dead, so. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I is it though? I don't know if I would. I don't know if I agree with that category. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe another time we'll we'll talk about that. Maybe and Zoe, I don't know if we'll have you back in the future or not. But like you've made it to. Th- I didn't tell you this before, but you've done three episodes with us, so now you're eligible to be an official host and on our webpage if you want. So, Yay. oh wow, thanks for yeah. being here, Zoe. Like this, I feel. I mean. You you really contributed and I think made this the la- these last three extra special. So thanks Aww, for being here. Yeah, yeah really you. enjoyed your presence here on these three. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, I, it- I appreciate that. <laughs> it's been awesome. It's been really fun. And as we roll into summer, we're I think we're going to cover strictly ballroom next time, but then we're going to be doing a series of summer movies. So keep an eye out for that. It's definitely going to include dirty dancing, like a big classic that people may be looking forward to, but we also might throw some surprises by your way. Like we've been talking about maybe Twister as a rom-com and (laughs) maybe call me by your name and some other interesting ideas. So keep your eyes peeled for that. And just uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.